Skycast episode 32, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 6, episode 3, The Children of Gabriel. As always, let's discuss our overall feelings before we get into the recap. So, how are we feeling? I know. (laughs) I'm really excited. It's been a really great season so far. And I also just feel like I have so many questions and I love that feeling yeah like I love not knowing the answer to everything it feels great well and I also love having so much fodder to speculate because I mean I feel like last season in particular there just wasn't a lot to speculate on yeah um, no, it was there kind was... of the same questions over and over again but this season is moving so fast without sacrificing any of the characterization that we've talked about mm-hmm. which is amazing so kudos to the writers I feel like they're doing a fantastic job so far trying not to get our hopes up it's only episode three so (laughs) um but it's this was a particularly fun episode to watch and I feel like I think our recap today is gonna be more than ever like based on questions that we have Mm -hmm. which is you know I think rare for us I think a lot of times we have the answers and uh it's really fun when we have so many questions so I'm excited. Um, Before we get started on the recap, though, as always, I just want to take a second and remind you guys to go and rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other fans of The 100 come and find us. So please go do that right now, and we'll jump into the recap. Yeah, and I also just want to say we got a few um, uh, ratings this last week, so thank you guys for doing that, and it really, 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 really helps us. Um, And just one more thing, too. So you guys know, if you're listening to this live, that we're late um we will not be spoiling anything from episode four we wrote down before we saw episode four some of our own um theories about what's going to happen that's all we're talking about in this episode so yeah. even if it was wrong we're going to mention it if it was right we're going to mention it but we're not going to say it we're treating this podcast like we're doing it in real time yeah and like this is the only information we have thus far it really sucked that we couldn't do it in live time we wanted to so bad because I had so much to say we had so much <laughs> I mean fun. I still have so much to yeah. say it's it's gonna be a ride <laughs> so let's get into it yeah let's start so picking up immediately after the end of last episode Murphy is unconscious and Sky Crew just met a bunch of creepy children uh, and their parents are apparently close behind and they don't look thrilled to see our heroes in the middle of their town square Clark says they're from Earth and come in peace, but the, lo- but the lone survivor of the mothership attack, whose name we find out is Kaylee, says that Clark's people killed the rest of her family. So, uh, not a good foot to start out on. <laughs> nope. Not a great introduction. Um, and from now on, I'm going to call all of our Earthlings Sky Crew, even though they're not actually, like, the Ridge Sky Crew, mm-hmm. but it just makes things easier. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, I think that's good, because technically they are coming from the sky. They are. They are. That is true. They yeah. are now all Sky Crew. Yeah. Um, so first off, I, I will give it to Britt. It does seem like she was right about the creepy child leader. Um, I mean, I don't think necessarily that Kaylee gives deference to her because Kaylee's also a prime, but she definitely is more protected than the other children. Yeah. So there was something creepy I couldn't put my finger on. I mean, just being a child makes you creepy enough, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is a good question. I am curious... Is the, are the kids actually separated or just seem that way? I think I had a hard time because the kids came before the adults came. So it almost seemed like they were coming from a different spot. But the way I'm thinking about it is like 
the kids were really excited to be let out of the bunker or wherever the hell they were. And so they like came rushing up, but their parents are old and they're like, we're not going to walk up that fast. So they just kind of like mosey along yeah. until of course they find Clark and, and friends, Clark and co in their town square. Yeah. I think it's fine for now to just assume the kids were excited and run out, but it is interesting to note that like all the kids came out in a group and we should just tuck that in for later in case we discover evidence to the contrary. Yeah. I mean, I am questioning at the end of last episode, Rose said, um, are you here to take us home? And Clark was like, isn't this your home? And we don't really get any sort of payoff for that in this episode. No, I think so, it'll come later. Yeah, like, I, I don't know if she meant Earth. Like, they'd all been waiting for Earth. But it doesn't really seem like it. Like, no one else kind of makes mention of that later on this episode. So yeah. um, I'm just, I'm really curious what she meant by that. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, and they call the main girl, Rose, a host, mm-hmm. um, which is a creepy thing to call someone, and you know, kind of is 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 kind of pointing to like a, a virus or like a bacteria or something. You know, like when I think of host, that's what I think of. Yeah, um, like a of something that hosts those sort of things. Yeah. So I, I'm not really. Sure, we'll talk about more later what, like, host could mean. Um, yeah, yeah. I think at the beginning of this episode, it's much less clear. But hopefully mm-hmm. by the end of this podcast, we will have worked our way to a theory of ours that we're working towards. And maybe you'll agree with us. Yeah. Um, I did We just want to mention really quickly this We Come in Peace alien reference <laughs> that we get, which I thought was delightful. It harkens back to episode one when Ruby's like, invaders from Earth, can yep. we come in? Yeah, it was a <laughs> tiny little payoff for that, and it was delightful. Um, and then the other thing that I did want to discuss is Kaylee is blaming Sky Crew for killing her family, and that seems a little unfair to me, <laughs> considering that they literally boarded their ship and took them captive and locked them up. You know, she may have forgotten to mention that small, tiny detail. Doesn't seem important anymore, but... Well, we also don't know what this society considers fair and what they consider to be nonviolence. We don't know anything about them. I so, mean, like, it's true. She, she didn't kill anybody. I mean, like, in her mind, maybe she really was, like, we didn't hurt anybody, and yet they just came after us. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, maybe that's kind of her way of thinking, but I'm also suspicious. Yeah, I was just kind of, like, really... <laughs> really? You did nothing to provoke them. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> so moving on, Clark tells them that Murphy's dying and he needs help. And that's when we finally meet Daddy Russell. Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> he looks at Murphy, sees the black veins, and declares that he's already dead. But apparently death isn't the end here. Their doctor, Killian, pulls out a snake whose poison will revive Murphy, and the snake bites him. And as soon as Murphy gasps in a breath, Russell calls for the guards to lock up Sky Crew. Um, so I guess first off, it looks like Murphy got sick because he was exposed to seaweed during the red sun. Like, okay, I guess. I don't even remember this happening. When was he exposed to seaweed? When Murphy, or when, uh... Oh, when he was, put him underwater? Was drowning him, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, sure, fine. That's cool. Uh, and, and my question is, does that mean the seaweed is only poisonous during the red sun? Or that you can only save someone if it's during the red sun? Or neither, and it just happened to occur during the red sun. No, I mean, like, um, Russell specifically said he was exposed to the seaweed during the red sun. It, like, made it sound I like... See. So maybe, like, because all the plants give off toxins, yeah. maybe it was particularly strong dose, and that's what poisoned Murphy. Or the snake 
itself uh it's uh venom venom only works during the red sun or after it's been like supercharged by the red yeah, sun yeah i don't know it's a good question i don't know if it matters no but yeah that's oh but also did you see the behind the scenes video about having the snake actually bite someone no they did that in real life i couldn't tell if it was um uh what's the guy who plays murphy's name uh richard i couldn't tell if it was richard Harmon's actual body but they rubbed a dead rat on somebody and like had the snake bite them was like trying to get the snake to bite them and you know what i would not volunteer for that job as an actor yeah that's pretty horrifying that's a hell no Hell no. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the snake had any teeth in real life. I'm, I was unclear about the snake situation. Really doesn't matter. But it was really hard for them, apparently, to get the right shot of, like, the snake with its mouth open. So they kept having to, like, redo it and do it again. Yeah, the no, snake seemed like it didn't have teeth at the time. So it was just kind of mouthing well, sure a person. They, they, I'm sure no actors or snakes were harmed in the making of this TV show. I just... I mean, did they have to detooth a snake? Because snakes are harmed in that way yeah I don't maybe it was a toothless snake yeah I feel like they probably would have gotten a snake that's not venomous that doesn't have fangs are there snakes that don't have fangs yes they're just gummy snakes yeah they just gum people yeah no they just open their jaws (laughs) yeah and and gum them swallow them them. oh like a cobra just like squeeze them out no no all snakes have detachable jaws they like open wide and swallow things whole yeah yeah but I'm saying it's more of like that's how you kill your victims and less so like no, biting them and paralyzing eat, them a lot of snakes just grab them no no i know that i'm just saying like a cobra is the kind of snake that would well, like because no, a cobra like squeezes them i'm not i don't even know if this snake would do that because they're too small well it could squeeze small things no you don't know it has like 12 eyes i mean sure and a whole on mouth- this crazy weird moon planet maybe I don't know. I don't know that much about snakes, guys. This isn't my forte. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I don't think any snakes were harmed in the making of this show. Well, I'm just saying, was a snake pre-harmed to no, be in no. the film business? No, I don't think so. Mr. Snake was probably very well taken care of. I would like an update on this. I will investigate. Yeah, thanks. Okay. <laughs> uh, but for the time being, I'm going to assume that all of the like organizations that are on set overlooking all of the ways that animals are taken care of on these kinds of sets yes i'm not worried about how the animal was taken care of on the set yes i see what you're saying mm-hmm. i'm just i'm sure yeah well, well i'm sure we'll look into it <laughs> you're gonna find out in this episode that animal animal safety is very important to me <laughs> um so anyway so i did want to comment on russell's entrance here because it's like almost comically grand like he just is so self-important right off the bat and he immediately takes this opportunity this life or death moment for murphy and is like i think this is a great time to start preaching to the congregation it was wild i was like why number one why are you telling this story like your people obviously know and sky crew doesn't really care right now they just want murphy to be you know safe but he like takes the time to like talk to his people. You all know that demon Gabriel. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's just proof of which we will see many of how devoted he wants his subjects to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, never pass up a good opportunity to show them this the divine signs of which there are clearly many. That is true. Um, it's it's not a good look. I mean, it's a great look. No, no. Have you seen him? I have. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> it's not what I meant. But, you know, the self-important grandeur is 
is questionable to me. It definitely makes me want to know more about who this person is. Yeah. Um, and this is also the first time we get a mention of Gabriel. They call him a demon. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many Christian overtones in this episode. Just in this first scene alone, we get this, you know, poison made the demon Gabriel believe he could walk on water, which is obviously a clear reference to Jesus walking on water and all of these other other references. Um, we'll get into some of them more a little bit later, but it does set up a tone that we'll continue to see throughout the episode in this very first scene. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's our first mention of Gabriel, who this episode is named after. Um, But we already have, you know, we know who Gabriel is at this point. Yeah. He's the doctor and presumably one of the only surviving people um, from the first original settlers. Yeah, that we saw in the flashback. The one that, uh, Russell at least, or not Russell, well, yes, I guess the first Russell um, didn't kill him. That we know of. That we know of. Like, in the scene uh, at the beginning of episode two... Uh, Gabriel runs away and I'm assuming that means that he survived so I mean we'll get to a little bit later but I'm already super excited to know more about Gabriel too and especially Gabriel and the original Russell's um, relationship together yeah yeah Uh, so the snake is called Kepishi Kepishi I think they pronounced it Kepsha Kepsha yeah uh, whatever it was, it means hideous snake in Chinese, and and clearly this is a creature that was so named because of Josephine, or at least one of Josephine's family members, because we know that Josephine spoke Mandarin, and so did her father. It, it sounded like right. Um. So, and we also know that she was a taxonomist. So, will we see more Chinese creature references in this season, or more kind of Mandarin brought into this world? Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know if we'll be able to really pick it out because I'll be honest, I don't know Mandarin, but I liked that they called it out here and kind of made that connection between last episode and this episode. Yeah, exactly. And the players who are capable of speaking Mandarin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the first thing Russell does is cure Murphy and then he locks the group up. And I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Like he really did kind of take care of the person first, Yeah. Um, which leads me to wonder if he might be a little bit more of a sympathetic character perhaps than I even expected. Um, you know, we'll talk about him more in this episode, but he does seem like he has a lot of complexity to him. I agree. And I definitely think that if you were trying to show a group of outsiders that you are um, not an all bad person, mm-hmm. like this is a great way to win them over. Yeah, like this I is just what- like don't know if I if I buy it given everything we've seen in this episode. I actually weirdly do buy it. I think that at least Russell believes that he's a good person. And so, you know, that is like for him what like a good person would do is like save someone before, you know, figuring out the truth behind why these people are here. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. I don't know. I think the jury is still out. I mean, like really who is a good person on this show, let's be honest. <laughs> it's questionable. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I think we'll we'll definitely have to to see how this goes. Mm-hmm. Um. I last thing I wanted to point out in this first scene is that Clark. You know, when they're arresting them and locking them up, Clark cries out. You know, they didn't do anything. We didn't do anything wrong, which is not like entirely true. Clark, I mean, the last five <laughs> seasons of the show would say different. <laughs> I mean, like it just felt like doth protest a little too much. I I agree that they are like arresting you for like 
kind of vague reasons, but <laughs> let's be honest here, Clark. Like, they don't know what you're capable of, and they don't know what you're doing here. Also, so. you're standing in the middle of their town square, and you came from who knows where. And also, like, it's just you're deeply suspicious. So it, it makes sense they're lucky. I just think that, like, her being like, we haven't done anything is, like, <laughs> we're so innocent. <laughs> just kind of like, what did you expect them to do with you? <laughs> anyway, moving on. So Sky Crew is left alone in what appears to be a tavern. Murphy isn't waking up, and Amori and Bellamy both blame themselves for their actions toward Murphy during the Red Sun. Bellamy and Octavia almost get into a fight, but Echo stops Bellamy, saying they need Octavia if they're going to fight their way out. But Clark says they are not going to fight. They need the people of Sanctum to teach them how to survive on this planet. Suddenly, a group of people come in. One, Delilah, tells them that Sanctum was originally colonized by four families, the Primes, and their blood still rules them all. Hmm. Um, so kind of going through the step-by-step. So Echo really does continue to be a voice of reason and um, peace, I guess, between Bellamy and Octavia. Yeah. Like, she really wants these siblings to make amends, and she's trying almost too hard um, to get them back together or to keep them at least from fighting. Yeah, I'm not sure if if it's just that. I think there are ulterior motives that I, I don't I wouldn't call it, call them necessarily like impure, but I do think that keeping Octavia calm and not instigating her or aggravating her is in the interest of everyone in this group and the safety of of their position right now and I think Echo is knows that she's the best at diffusing this kind of tension. So I think it's multiple things. I think it's, yes, I think she's in the interest of Bellamy's sake trying to get them in a better place, but I also think she knows her instincts are just telling her, like, we we can't do this right now. This is combustible. Well, I think it's that plus, you know, Echo being as very much a practical specimen as she is. It's like, we need Octavia. Like, in, in Echo's mind right now, there are enemies around them. They are locked away in this room. They need to escape. Yeah. Um, and so Echo's like, you know, we need Octavia. She's one of our best fighters. I think that's kind of her, her line of thinking right now. Mm-hmm. Um, more of like, this is what we need in this moment. We'll make it happen. And then, of course, Clark comes in and is like, no, 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 no. We actually will die without these people. So we should, like, chill out. We need to play nice. <laughs> she is still very much committed to being peaceful here. Like, even though they're locked up, the old Clark might have felt a little bit differently. Um, but now Clark is like, I, I don't want to screw up this chance. You know, we, we only have this one chance. This is the last chance we're probably going to get. So we have to learn how to survive here. Yeah. And we get... You know, I think throughout this episode, we are starting to see, like, if you were, like, a, a person, let's just call him Jonesy, and you wanted to make a cult, and if you wanted to read a manifesto on how to make a cult, I would just watch this episode of The 100. There are, like, some key signs here that what we're dealing with here is not actually, like, a harmonious society, but in fact, a cult. And... This is like our first clue. It's like, oh yes, we have the primes. We name them over and over again. And there are these like key figures in our society that we like pray to and they make all the rules and they have all the power and they're basically royalty. And that that is a that's that's an alarm bell. Well, I think at this point in the episode, we're not quite sure the primes, um, Delilah says, are are the original settlers. So we're not, you know, we don't quite make the connection between the primes now and the primes then um but i think there's also the you know oh josephine created this joe juice hallowed be her name yeah there's the no- hallowed be her name is like your first real clue yeah, it's, well, and the joe juice like 
oh my god so <laughs> I mean, josephine named everything else why not <laughs> um but i just loved sky crew's reaction to them all being like hallowed be her name they were kind of looking around like okay yeah like what's <laughs> going on here um so okay to, to like recap the information we get in this scene uh four families mm-hmm. made up the primes the original primes were the original settling family members of this um planet slash moon and their quote-unquote blood still rules um so my questions are does this mean the leaders of this group are descendants of the primes is it like their blood like they were having babies and like that's their blood or also, we know that the Primes had night bloods. So maybe the night blood are the rulers. Like, if you're born with night blood, very similar to being on uh, Earth with the grounders. Yeah, sure, the commanders. You might become a ruler that way. Um, and we get more of an answer to this later, but around well, we this time... We think we get an answer to this later. Well, we get, like, a little bit more of an answer to um, and the night blood question. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we'll get to that more, but that was those were kind of our thoughts at this point. Yeah, there, it's just that we, we were starting to build a a theory here and we're like laying bricks down of mm-hmm. as the questions as they come along so make way for the prime someone calls and russell comes in kaylee points out that raven was the pilot and when the guards go after her russell calls them off clark explains that her people were just defending themselves in the mothership and clark catches russell's notice he says he knows they have questions and he'll answer them but he needs them to fly their transport ship into sanctum first because there are things beyond the shield that would love to get their hands on the ship's weapons so uh, russell is like large and in charge in kind of a scary authoritarian way like when um the guards start going after raven russell's like excuse me did i ask you to do that and they like apologize for it yeah it was just like i what i say goes and if i don't say it you don't do anything it's it was scary to the point where i'm like scared of him from this point forward in the episode i am now scared of him i'm not necessarily scared of him but i am scared of what people will do for him yeah no I'm just scared of him (laughs) he's scary dude um and it kind of makes you question what the price for being disrespectful to a prime would be I mean it was when Simone when a clerk was not exactly ready to to bow bow down down to him (laughs) and Simone was like you will do this or else you know it's just a question of like okay so in this like harmonious society like if you are disrespectful if you don't play by the rules what is the punishment? Like, what what does this mean? Um, it's an interesting question to think about. I know these are outsiders and maybe the rules don't exactly apply to them. But the reaction was so strong so quickly. I mean, that escalated real quickly. <laughs> um, it just begs the question of, of what punishment and order look like here. Yeah, and I mean, we're introduced to Russell's wife, Simone, here. And she does not seem happy these people are here um simone definitely seems to be a kind of play by the rule kind of woman um and like very harsh super practical in a way but um like also very large and in charge in her own yeah i mean it's interesting because she seems really fascinating as a character i mean she's clearly very respectful of tradition um and sort of the role and making sure that the I don't want to call it the patriarchy, but like Russell is clearly in a higher position than mm-hmm. she is. Um, and I'm not sure why that is. Yeah, that was my question actually to bring up. Is yeah. They're both primes, but Russell is, is the leader. Um, 
But what does that mean? Like, does he have extra benefits that other primes don't have? Or are and they all kind of leaders in different ways? And how did he get that position? Yeah. Um. And she seems very much subservient to him in that regard, hierarchically. But she also has so much authority in her own right. And, and clearly he respects her and her opinion deeply. It's just a really interesting kind of complexity that's happening here where you, you don't quite know where she stands in relation to him and in society as a whole. Um, yeah, I think we're going to, I think she's just a really interesting character. Yeah, I agree. I'm excited to see more about her. Also just had to call out because Clark Griffin is such a bamf. I love her. This line that she says, you know, he's like, I am Russell. What's your, what's your name? And she's like, or he, she go, he goes, what's your name? And she's like, Clark Griffin, what's yours? And it's just so sassy and Eliza delivers this line in a way that she's like completely in control of her faculties. She is not put off guard by this man. She is completely standing up to him and holding her own. She's just amazing. It's an amazing expression in two words of what she is. Yeah, I mean, Clark is always going to be Clark to me. I think she's the one that people will turn to in times because this is the kind of person that Clark is is she's challenging him but not in an aggressive way yeah. it's just more of showing him that like I too am in charge of you know I mean, myself it's, it's and a meeting of the minds in a really cool way yeah I mean and we saw this too this line in the trailer and we've loved it since then and I just I love her delivery um and even better for me is when Simona's like you should bow before using Russell's name and Clark's like I don't think so yeah I don't think so uh and she's just she's just so great and I love you Clark I love yeah. you she's the, she's <laughs> the greatest I I love how many like little bones they're throwing her mm -hmm. to make her seem a little larger than life because yeah. she's been beaten down for a couple of seasons now yeah. Um, also, quick question. How many titles does a person need before they're considered a megalomaniac? Because it's an irrelevant question. Russell has undoubtedly surpassed this number by now. <laughs> um, well, let's count them. Yeah. We have Russell Lightborn, sure. uh, Breaker of Chains, Mother of Dragons, sure, sure. The Unburnt, Protector of the Realm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm missing a few there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Unsullied. Misa. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes, he does have quite a few. Um, quite a few names. Savior of Sanctum was, I think, a very interesting one to me. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about our theory later. But, you know, just sa calling him the Savior of Sanctum means, like, something recently must have happened for him to save Sanctum. Unless yeah. they're just referring to it as, like, you know, you being the leader and keeping us together is saving Sanctum. Well, I do think there's this question that this episode, I think, propositions as a p potential answer to that which is this children of gabriel plot line which is like it seems like this has been a recent development this sort of terror organization mm -hmm. um or at least that's what i think that they're trying to show us is that maybe he's there was a break pretty recently and these terrorists branched off and are attacking them and russell has like saved them i think that's what we're meant to believe for part of the episode mm -hmm. obviously we know differently now. Um, or yeah, we... We suspect differently now at the, the end, end of the of episode. episode. But I think at this moment... Well, not even at this moment, but I think they're putting this question out there and then they bring in the children of Gabriel as like a... They're under attack and they're being... You know, they need a leader to save them. Mm -hmm. So Kaylee doesn't want Russell to ask Sky Crew to bring their ship to Sanctum. She wants him to order it. After all, her family is on that ship. Russell tells her she'll be on the team to retrieve the ship, and she looks nervous, which Russell notes with some suspicion given that she's already left the shield to steal the dropship. 
Abby tells Clark that Maddie is on the dropship and Clark is determined to get her, but Russell says Clark doesn't seem disposable enough to leave since she seems like the leader. Bellamy picks Raven and Echo to come with him to get the dropship, and Echo tells Octavia to come too. Mm-hmm. So first off, what do we think Russell believes at this point about Kaylee and her family leaving the planet to go to the mothership? Because, you know, the way that he's playing it, it seems like he doesn't actually trust what she says has happened. No, he seems deeply suspicious. And I'm not really sure what he does think happened, um, but the way that he's like what you've left the shield before it's like almost a challenge to her as like try to explain this to me now you know mm-hmm. yeah and I mean it's a it's kind of like a weird dictatorship attitude because when he demands that Kaylee goes with them he's using it as a punishment I mean like he you can see the terror on her face she doesn't want to go back out there she knows what's waiting for them and although she wants her family back I think she's a little shocked that he's deploying her in this way almost like as if she's expendable um and that's also it it's it points to signs that he's he, he's a little bit like a dictator um yeah I mean well I think it's a punishment but also it's a challenge from him saying like you did it once you can do it again can't you like making well, it sound like she has reasons for leaving the first time and she doesn't have those reasons anymore and so he doesn't really understand what those initial reasons are that's keeping her kind of nervous about leaving the shield especially when her family's out there yeah he's catch- he's trying to catch her in a lie yeah um and she's aware of it <laughs> um also is the main concern here that the others quote unquote will gain a piece of the aircraft or the returning of the bodies like what is their primary goal here i mean kaylee still seems to be worried about them but they should be dead as yeah. far as we know at this point. Yeah, we had that question at the end of last episode of like, they're dead? Why are you so concerned? Yeah. I mean, like, I know that you might want to give them a proper funeral or whatever they do here to bury right. bodies. But it seems like there's like an actual threat being posed. Yeah. Um, for me, it seems like Russell feels the biggest threat is the others, quote unquote, getting control of the ship. Um, but like a secondary reason is to go after Kaylee's family. I could be wrong, but that kind of seems where Russell's Well, I at. think that he's using the ship as a way of masking the real reason for him, which I, th- I think the bodies are the real purpose. Okay. But he doesn't want to reveal that to Sky Crew for, you know he just met them and he doesn't know what they're capable of um and I think it's a really good lie I mean I think it's a really good ruse to get back what you really need it's possible but we'll talk about our theory later but I'm not entirely sure Russell cares as much as maybe he should about getting Kaylee's family back maybe um but we'll talk about that later I specifically love in this scene that when Russell asks Clark if they're their leader Bellamy immediately jumps in and she's like yes yes she is she's our leader she can speak for us yep yep, 100% 100% um but really the question is do we think he actually believes it that he considers Clark their leader or is it just because it seems like Russell likes Clark and he wants to keep Russell on their side I mean for me it seemed clear that he really believes it it doesn't seem like there's a doubt in my mind I think he was 100% in support of her it's just his like natural inclination um and I think he knows she's the right person for the job and I think weirdly at this point in time Bellamy believes in Clark's determination to keep the peace more than he ever has before yeah um just from what we've seen Clark 
you know, say and act and do in the last few episodes, she's the one who's always like, you know, no guns, no fighting. Let's just chill out. Let's be peaceful, be respectful. Um, And Bellamy has noticed that. And I think he is feeling a little bit more emotional now himself. um, But Clark still seems very in control of her emotions. And so having Clark as their leader right now is the best choice for them. But I do also think that there is like 50% of the reason he says that is because he can tell that Russell's impressed by Clark. Um, Yeah, he's not stupid, but I do feel like he also doesn't disagree with what he's saying. No, I don't think so either. I mean, I don't know if Bellamy sees any one specific person as the leader. Um, I think he sees a few people as being kind of in charge in different ways. Um, But Clark, usually when you're coming up against an opposing force of some sort, Clark is usually the one you want to go to. Yeah, she's the best one for the job, like I said. Uh, but you know who's not here for Clark being the leader? No, tell me. <laughs> As Raven. <laughs> Raven is not happy. Um, of course, though, she doesn't, like, put forth any other options. No, so it's, it's really just like, kind of, like, whining at this point. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's. I mean, again, I get it. And, you know. I, yeah, we've talked about it. I, I don't feel like we need to rehash it here. It's just frustrating. Yeah. Um. Another thing I wanted to note is something that you had just mentioned about Clark being in control. And I think that that's so true, especially in this scene. She has such a strong grip on herself and her engagement with Russell. But we see her kind of crack a little bit um, at the mention of Maddie. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. And I also feel like it's not something other people haven't noticed that that's her weakness and that if you are trying to use or manipulate Clark the easiest target is through Maddie um and I just think that that I don't feel like that is specifically overt in this specific scene but it's something that we should be aware of well I think you know we hear in this scene Russell and Simone see that Clark has a daughter of some sort and we find out later that Russell and Simone also have a daughter um so I think just you know being parents they're able to like say like I would do anything for my child so like she will also do anything for hers like that that's where you can kind of like pinpoint the weakness is not just that she has a kid but it's also like I know what I would do for my kid yeah I think that's what we're supposed to take away from this Mm -hmm. scene but I also feel like that was a moment of weakness for Clark where she like kind of showed her hand a little bit and I'm just a little worried about it yeah I mean I don't think that I wouldn't say she showed her hand I mean it's her daughter. I mean, like, it's her daughter. It's her yeah. child, at least. Um, and so I think they would have figured it out. You know, it's not like she's supposed to be hiding her relationship with Maddie. No, I just, like, she's so cool. She's so calm. Except when Maddie gets brought up. I don't know. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but why do you think Echo specifically asks Octavia to come with them to the dropship? Do you think it's to help the siblings make amends? Or do you think it's to keep Octavia away from the Sanctum people? I actually think it's just to keep so that Echo can keep her eye on Octavia. Mm -hmm. I think it's all of those things. I think she's hoping that with, you know, sustained time together, she can maybe find a way of patching things up between Octavia and Bellamy. I think she doesn't trust anyone else to be able to manage Octavia the way that Echo has proven she can again and again. And I also think that she knows Octavia doesn't do well in crowded places and she is much better or at least there is less collateral damage out in the open than there is in a fully populated town and Octavia is a bomb waiting to go off so yeah I think all of those things and then I just love that Echo has kind of become Octavia's like babysitter in a way she's like her (laughs) keeper yeah 
So Gaia is trying to teach Maddie how to commune with the commanders in the flame. Maddie can't focus. She wants to go and help Clark, but Gaia says she needs to concentrate on her studies so that one day she won't have to ask for the flame's guidance. She'll already command it. Maddie mentions that there's a commander in the flame who scares her, and Gaia says that's Shade Hedda, the dark commander. She needs to resist him because the flame amplifies every commander's capacity for good and evil, and they're all battling for Maddie's favor. Hmm. So I love this scene. I love getting all this new info about how the flame works. Yeah. I feel like it's been a long time coming. I mean, yeah, we, we basically know nothing about it. We know that the some sort of version of the consciousnesses <laughs> all exist within the flame from past commanders, but we don't know how those consciousnesses um, manifest themselves. Yeah, exactly. Except in dreams. We know that for sure. But Yeah. And I mean, we've we've had an established idea of what the flame is since season three. Yeah. Um. So it's been three seasons of contemplation on this without ever any kind of focus, um, which I think is really exciting. And I think this scene specifically, which is our first taste really of how the flame logistically works inside the human consciousness, is not only for just establishing the fact that Clark's conscious is not in the flame, which I think they, like you pointed out, needs to be stated yeah because people have questioned this before i think it's been a question of like whether clark is in the flame is she both what's happening she's not in there at all Mm -hmm. Um, even though i'm not entirely sure about that logic yeah i don't know if the math works like the consciousness only exists it's not like the soul is in there unless they want unless you know gaia might actually believe their soul is in the flame um that might be kind of part of her religion um well sure but i don't think you know, taking the religion out of it, I don't know if that actually makes any sense about, like, the way that consciousnesses enter the flame. You yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, but we don't really have enough information on that anyway. So for the no. time being, we'll just leave it at what they're saying, which is Clark is not in there. Um, but I also think there's a really useful purpose to this scene in starting to train Maddie in this way in this session, which is that it gives us an accessible way of also learning how the chip works in the human mind for possibly other chips in this show. And we'll get back to this later this episode. But it is interesting to think that if the chip enters your mind and if you don't have the strength of mind or strength of will, whatever you want to call it, it can overpower the mind. But there seems to be maybe a way for you to take control of it and for it to work for you instead of against you. Um... Which is just an interesting concept to keep in the back of our mind as we move forward. Yeah, I mean, I kind of jumping off of that, how exactly does the flame amplify a person's capacity for good and evil? I'm, I'm thinking, like, if these commanders are battling for Maddie's favor, does that really mean they're battling to kind of be her guiding force? Mm-hmm. Um, and if so, is that just being, like, having all of these voices in your head is like having devils and angels on your shoulder, you know, being like, you should do this, you should do that, and giving you ideas that you might not have had yourself. Mm-hmm. Or is there something that the flame, like, does to your mind that, like, pushes you in one direction or the other? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a question of, like, are they releasing, like, are they in control of your, like, brainstem? Like, are they releasing hormones and, like, chemicals to, like, make you angrier? Are they forcing your reactions to things in a biological sense? Is it purely psychological, like, what in in what capacity do they have control over your mind yeah I mean I, th- I think it's an interesting question between the mind versus the brain um 
but I don't think we have enough information to answer that. No, we have basically so no. it's a really, no information. Really good question. But I think we'll get more because they talked about Shade Hedda, which we've seen from the trailer being this like super sketchy, creepy guy who has like seemingly no eyes or I guess one eye, as Maddie explains him. Um, the Dark Commander, one eye, scars like lines on a map. Uh, and I'm pretty sure Dioza knows who oh. this is. Oh, for sure. Because sure. her head jerked up. Yeah, as Maddie's explaining this, it's like Dioza's ears perk up and she kind of turns around a little bit. Right. Um, and this is like as Maddie's like saying what he looks like. Um, so it seems like Dioza, at least that sounds like a familiar description to her. Um, so questions. Could this be Bill Cadigan? <laughs> okay, now here's the thing. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I have... A- no reason not to say it isn't. <laughs> I know that was a lot of double negatives in a row. But what I'm trying to say is that seems like the most likely answer to me. The reason that I still firmly believe that Cadigan is going to play some role is not just because I'm obsessed with him and I don't really know why, but it's really because of that scene last season where Maddie has that dream about Becca being burned at the stake and Becca's like screaming at Cadigan yeah. to stop this. Um, and it just seemed like an odd choice to call back if we weren't going to bring Cadigan into this somehow oh I 100% agree with I always agree with you but um (laughs) and I'm usually wrong (laughs) but then I'm always just like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry your Bill Cadigan theory didn't pan out again someday I don't know what time this is mark my words fifth theory of yours (laughs) moving forward but we'll just like stick a pin in that well yeah I have another option too is it could be someone that Dioza knows from the military um either an adversary or someone from her original team, and that's why she recognizes them. Yeah, um, I, mean, I mean, I think any of those theories are totally viable. But I hope it's Cadigan. Yeah, I <laughs> personally, for your sake, hope it's Cadigan. <laughs> but we'll see. But yeah, like you said, pin in it, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Dioza says that it's sad that Gaia isn't letting Maddie be a child. Gaia taunts her about a quote-unquote child beating Dioza's entire army, but Dioza isn't having it. That wasn't her army, it was a group of psychotic criminals, and the valley was destroyed anyway, so no one won. Maddie quips that she can't wait to meet Dioza's child of two mass murderers, and Dioza picks up a knife. For a moment it seems like Dioza might attack Maddie and Gaia, but then she throws the knife into the trees and kills an attacker sneaking up on them. Before they can do anything else, though, people come out of the trees and shoot Maddie, Gaia, and Dioza with paralytic darts. So Maddie is sassy? Yeah. Like, real sassy. She is Clark's daughter through and through. She's always been sassy. I love her. Clap back. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Dioza and Maddie haven't really interacted much yet at all. Uh, and now we're really getting this episode some sort of, like, weird kinship building between them. And I'm curious to see if that's really just for this episode or if it's going to be something that continues on through the rest of the season. I weirdly feel like it has to do with Dioza getting a little bit more maternal inclinations. Yeah. Um, As her baby daughter grows in her belly, I think she looks at Maddie as what her daughter could be. Well, I'm actually less interested in the way that Dioza looks at Maddie and more interested in the way that Maddie looks at Dioza. Oh, yeah. I think I think that's also super interesting, and I think we get a little bit more of that POV or at least access to what Maddie thinks of Dioza in later scenes. But I think in this scene particularly, from the fact that we can still see Dioza is very pregnant, um, I think she is amused by Maddie, uh, her little sass. Yes, sass master. Sass machine. Um, and... You know, she definitely calls her to task and 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 talks down to her a little bit. But I 
But I do think it's kind of in a, a friendly spirit, mm-hmm. um, which is cute. It's cute. Um, I guess another question following that is, will poor Dioza be pregnant forever? Because, like, if you count the days of this season so far, we're in episode three and it's only been, like, a day and a half. Yeah. Um, so I guess this is going to be a quick season. I mean, every season of The 100 is kind of a short period of time. Yeah, that they're very in. condensed. Um, and Dioza's, what, seven or eight months along? Oh, no. I think they said six. Six months old? Yeah, like, she's still got a while. I think last episode it was established she's six months pregnant. And we still do know that Hope, as a character, was um, cast in a few episodes from now. She's like, I don't know, seven or eight looking, this child who was cast. So Maybe it's a hallucination. I feel like at this point it's got to be a hallucination. Unless they have, like, miracle grow for children here. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Who really knows here? Um, maybe it's the swirly do. <laughs> it's the swirly do. <laughs> oh, I missed him this episode. I know. Um, no swirly do this time. <laughs> uh, anyway, broken record, but it has to be said because Dioza is a badass. <laughs> I'm sorry, but when she picked up that knife and threw it, it was, it was impressive. It was really impressive. She's pretty amazing lady. Verbally and combat wise, <laughs> she is a boss. Uh, and speaking of Dioza being a badass and killing people, we now meet Grounders 2.0 uh, in crazy-looking clothing. Yeah. Why do we think they dress that way? Is it just for camouflage, or is there some other reason that you can think of? I mean, I feel like the most obvious answer is camouflage, um, because they don't seem to have a home base, Yeah. which we learn later this. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say well, that. Well, okay. I don't think we... Well, we can talk about it. Yeah. Um... But also, I feel like they have, like, a kinship with the forest, which we also learned this episode, that makes me feel like maybe they're just inclined to, like, be the forest. Like, wear the forest. Like, <laughs> be, be the, the forest. <laughs> wear the ground. No, I, I mean, I definitely think camouflage plays a large part in it. Um, but I also wonder if there's if what they're wearing provides them some sort of protection from the forest. Because it does seem like there's some, like... Properties. There's some things out there that are, you know, a little scary. Namely, the trees. Um, <laughs> but So I'm, I'm just curious if there's any way that, like, their masks, you know, can protect them from, I don't know, toxins or... Yeah, well, maybe the wearing the, like, bark or leaves or whatever it actually provides them protection. Yeah, maybe. I, I really yeah, don't I know. I don't know. I guess maybe we'll find out. Maybe so. we won't. Maybe Octavia is going to get a nice little camo oh, jacket for herself. <laughs> Another pin in that. <laughs> Sorry. Clark watches Bellamy's team leave, and then she meets a dog for the first Doggy. time. And it's magical. <laughs> a good boy. Uh, Russell, like the rest of us, understands that the saddest thing about Earth being destroyed means there are no more dogs. Clark explains to Russell how they breached the radiation shields, which he thanks her for. And as Clark watches the people of Sanctum going about their day, Russell asks her if she's ever known peace. When she can't answer that question, he says she's going to like it here. He hasn't decided whether they can stay, but they'll talk about it over dinner at the palace. Mm. <laughs> so, Clark watching Bellamy leave. Bellamy looking back at Clark. You two are ridiculous. It is <laughs> absurd. How is this still happening? I don't know. I don't. I mean, like, at this point, it's just kind of like a running joke now. <laughs> no, it is a running joke. Yeah. Also, I mean, I thought this show was perfect. There was something nagging me this whole time. 
what it couldn't put my finger on it but now i know the show didn't have any dogs and now <laughs> that it does it's a perfect show it is a perfect show and per- the dog period. is like a perfect dog it's, it's like a golden, was it a golden retriever yeah, yeah. It's a golden retriever he is the best of all good boys i love him mm-hmm. did we get a name for the dog no we didn't i should have tried to look that up it doesn't matter because <laughs> he's my new favorite character oh, of course <laughs> um so yeah i don't know if it was clear before but it just needs to be said if it wasn't russell's a dilf actual daddy russell like whoa <laughs> like hot damn He's i re- mean i watched teen wolf which this actor was on and played a dad there and like it never really occurred to me how hot he was but like there's something I about was keenly aware yeah i like i know he was attractive but there's something about like the way that he like behaves and like the way he dresses in this and like the like nice trim beard that yeah, he has it's beard, just like the beard oh, wow. is working for him in a really really <laughs> good way so all um behaviors and characterizations aside purely as a physical specimen russell is a hot plus. af <laughs> af <laughs> moving on uh so if these like quote-unquote children of gabriel are the rebels why hasn't russell changed the radiation shield code yet like surely gabriel who also came to the planet would have known the code too and it seems like Gabriel, at least at some point, was around when the radiation shield was around. That's an excellent question I didn't even think about. What is he doing? Like, unless, you know, unless Gabriel really did die, you know, long, long ago before the radiation shield was even created, and then it wouldn't matter. And, like, the children of Gabriel are just, like, I don't know, his descendants disciples. Or, or disciples or yeah. whatever. Um it just I, I'm still kind of like harping on like really it's been 200 years and you haven't changed the code <laughs> yeah that's crazy to me I feel like just for security purposes you should change that like every yes. other month yes like your standard security <laughs> procedure what are you like 90 years old have you never used a phone before <laughs> <laughs> security <I do>. codes <laughs> I do think it's interesting that Clark chose not to reveal that she breached the radiation fence because of her night blood like she specifically discussed describes the way that Kaylee told them the code and or that Shaw knew the code and they go through and they undo it and blah 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 but she leaves out and omits her own participation in it and I don't know if that was just because it didn't seem relevant at the time but it does seem like something Clark would think about and how you know maybe she doesn't need to reveal everything to him right away if there was a perfectly reasonable explanation that didn't involve her own (coughs) you know specialness um i don't know i think it's something that's it's interesting to think about and it certainly seems like something a smart move that clark would think about several steps ahead yeah sorry for the cough (laughs) um when you first brought this up i wasn't sure that she like specifically thought maybe i shouldn't mention this um but the only thing that makes me think the only reason she might have kept it back is because not because she's like, I don't want them to know that I'm Nightblood, but more so because I don't want them to know that I can go through their radiation shields. Yeah. Um, and that I can understand, you know, being a reason why Clark would keep that information back. Yeah. I don't know if it's specifically about the fact that she has Nightblood, but it's certainly an extra piece of information that they don't need right now yeah. in case they need to get out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my question for you is, do we really think that Clark has never known peace? Because I personally... I'm not sure if that's totally true. I think her early days in the arc, especially because she was one of the privileged, 
I think they were probably very happy. She had two parents. She had food. She had friends. She like went to school. Um, I, I, I just, I'm not sure that I believe that this is the first time she's ever actually seen what peace looks like. I mean, I think it's a de- it depends on your definition of peace because I do think even though she was very privileged on the Ark and did live fairly happily from the very limited flashbacks we've seen, she, both of her parents worked for the government and I do think she was keenly aware of the stratification of and the politics at play in the arc and that it wasn't a totally peaceful society, as very few are. I think she was aware of the fact that there was a struggle going on. I think she, even if she didn't really understand it at the time, had some kind of consciousness that their resources were limited. Um, I don't know if that's the opposite of peace but it certainly isn't a struggle-free existence well i don't believe that there's any society not even sanctum that's a struggle-free existence so i mean like question i think that you know even her looking at like the children playing and then like walking around doing their daily lives like i think that is something she would have also seen on the ark yeah um like i think you know they were as at peace as you could possibly be being humans in a society. I agree. I, I don't believe you can have humanity without struggle. I mean, so, maybe a better question was, how long has it been since you've known peace? Yeah. And that is a good question, and it's been a long-ass time. It's been really <laughs> long. I think maybe so long that she's having a hard time remembering herself the last time she felt like she was at peace. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a difference also in definition of peace, whether it's like external or internal peace. And for that question, I... I don't know if she ever knows if she can really remember that far back because of what she's been through. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, I think this is kind of an ambiguous question. Yeah. No real answer. No, I I don't think it's supposed to have it, but I thought it was interesting to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it's weird that Russell tells Clark she's going to like it here and then he's like, I don't know if you're going to stay. Not sure. Because it's like he's almost saying it to her like it doesn't matter, like she's going to stay regardless. Like, maybe she'll stay, but the rest of them won't. I don't know. I found that exchange very strange to me. I don't know. I feel like at this point, you know, before we get any further, Russell doesn't know much about Clark, but he really likes her. And I Mm -hmm. think, you know, he's kind of made up his mind to an extent that, like, sure, they can stay here on a trial basis if they're, like, all like her. Um, When he gets further information later on this episode he's like oh wait a minute yeah, maybe yeah. maybe not maybe no <laughs> but but right now I think he's saying like oh no no I haven't made my decision yet but like he really kind of has yeah yeah I see what you mean um I do love that you know he's invited Clark to have dinner at the palace yes, because the palace I mean what an asshole like you have a palace a palace is that necessary I mean you couldn't even just be like dinner at my house it's like oh yes the palace where I live because I'm a king <laughs> right I, it's very it's a it's a lot <laughs> again he's a very self-important man he is I mean other people treat him like that and you behave the way that you're treated so Uh, Bellamy's team is heading toward the shield. Octavia wants a weapon, which annoys Bellamy. Echo tells Bellamy that Octavia can't screw up the Alliance if she's with them, but Bellamy isn't so sure. Kaylee tells them there are things and people in the woods that want them dead, and if they fall behind, they will be. Then one of the Sanctum members shoots some kind of energy gun at the sky and takes down the shield, which turns out to be a dome over Sanctum. 
Yeah, so again, we see here Echo continues to diffuse the tension between Bellamy and Octavia. Um, but we can tell that this is only a temporary situation, and it's only a matter of time before the siblings Blake combust. Like, this oh, is, yeah. is going to happen very soon. <laughs> Coming from prior knowledge of later on this episode, takes about 40 <laughs> minutes, 38 to 40 minutes for the Blake siblings to erupt <laughs> the countdown has begun <laughs> um so kaylee specifically says there are things and people in these woods that want us dead so we've met the children of gabriel they seem like kind of sketchy at least toward the sanctum people um so we know that those are the people who might want them dead yeah but the things who might want them dead like do we think that she just means the trees who it seems like they eat people or mm -hmm. they eat dead things um, or are there other dangers out there? Namely, <laughs> the greens really do. <laughs> the really do. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, I just, I really. All of the above. Can't wait to find out more of the dangers of this forest. And mm -hmm. and the way that she says the things want us dead, is she meaning that literally, like, there are things with, like, enough consciousness to, like, actively want to kill us? Yeah. Because I don't know if I, I would believe the trees want them dead yeah, i don't no, know i don't know if i think the trees are conscious enough to like want to have anything. a desire yeah yeah that seems to point to like sentience yeah i hope so fingers crossed i don't know man um and then I, apparently they can take down the shield by shooting a gun at it yeah <laughs> i i didn't understand that because we already know that there is a um code for the the radiation fence so why is there this like other version of taking down the shield and why would you want to have a gun that could take down your energy shield that does not seem like a safe thing to carry i don't know i don't know how that seems more secure than just giving them the effing code yeah i don't know i don't know anyway Murphy wakes up screaming, and Clark and Amori tell him that the toxin is gone and everyone is okay but somehow Murphy knows that he died for a minute Amori tries to comfort him, but Murphy says that he saw something while he was out, and he's pretty sure he's going to hell. Abby explains why they had to bring Maddie, and Clark is surprised that Maddie actually listened to her. Abby says that Maddie reminds her of someone else that she knows. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. So cute. Uh, so it does seem like the reason that Murphy wasn't affected by the Red Sun was just because he wasn't like there's yeah. there's no real reason it seems behind it yeah i haven't heard anything to the contrary i mean we'd heard i think jason or someone after the episode mentioned that like they kind of i think what you said in one of our previous episodes um the reason murphy wasn't affected is just because like murphy's kind of the he's already there he's already there yeah, yeah like it doesn't there's affect not him. there's nothing left for the to the red sun to do anything to him um so i think it's that's more of like a metaphysical kind of mental thing versus like an actual like biological reason yeah um but i don't know if this means that murphy will always be safe during the red sun like it will just never affect him or like does its effect change every time like depending on your mindset it's such a good question can't wait for the next red sun so we can find out well we got a month so maybe three more seasons yeah <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right i did that math that checks out yeah. <laughs> uh so murphy apparently maybe saw hell so he thinks like, what do you think he saw? I mean, do I think he went to the plane of, of Hades? No, <laughs> I don't. I think he had a venom-induced hallucination that manifested all of his guilt and shame 
and bad thoughts into a hellscape setting. Yeah. And here we are. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know. But that's my that's my theory. I agree with you. I don't think he actually went to hell. Um, that's because I don't believe in hell. But <laughs> I mean, but like just like thinking through, you know, him being, I don't know, the seaweed, the toxins from the seaweed. I think that makes a lot of sense that they kind of brought him into his own worst nightmare of some sort. Yeah. Um, but I do think specifically what he saw was what we saw in the trailer for this season, which was he was tied to a stake. And he was the one holding um, the burning branch that would light the pyre on fire. Um, yes, the burning bush. The, well, I mean, I, I think that basically Murphy's thinking, like, this is what I'm doing to myself. I am, like, literally sending myself to hell with, like, the way that I'm acting. Yeah. And and you're, I mean, he's he's burning himself alive. Yeah, with, I mean. With all of his emotions. I mean, it's, I'm curious. We didn't get access to his, let's just call it a hallucination. I for, think we will. So when and how? Like, is he going to get bit again? Is he going to eat the toxin again? Is he going to f- inflict this on himself? Like, he wants to see what what he, he wants to go back to what he saw and to 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 work through it. Like, do you think this is going to be self inflicted or put a put, or forced on him? Like, what do we think? I think he might return to it in like a dream. Like, it's like a trauma that he keeps mm. returning to. Um, but the more I think about it, I was not really sure why this was being brought into the season um, because it doesn't really feel like it jibes with everything else that's going on. But the more, I mean, besides the whole biblical, I was biblical just thing, say, I don't know, <laughs> which we can talk about and which you have and will talk about, I'm sure, ad nauseum. <laughs> um, I, I think that it's also kind of a question of how Murphy can do better this season when he realizes that, like, you know, the reason that I'm doing all of this stuff has always been for myself and maybe for Amori, but, you know, I, I want to be a better person. I want to be the kind of person who, at the end of their life, is judged for the reasons and not the, um, you know, the things that I do. Um, and we'll get into this a little bit more later, but I, I, I hope this is the path that Murphy's going on this season. I 100% agree. And I do actually, I disagree with you. I think it jives really well, both with the the allusions and the allegories to Christianity and, and the Bible, but also this kind of question and the dichotomy between good and bad that this show is obsessed with. And, you know, Murphy has always been really straddling that line, very, very well balanced, I would say. You know, he's both bad and good, always in the gray. Um, I think he's he himself has a really hard time seeing himself as anything other than bad Mm -hmm. um and he has to be able to recognize the good in himself before he can move forward and do good and do better um which i think works really well both thematically and visually yeah i mean i i think you're totally right like i i don't mean that it's completely out of um the realm of the show but i think more of why this struck me is because this show has always been really focused on life and doing what it takes to survive and it's never really ruminated on what happens after death yeah this Um, is way more contemplative yeah so like bringing this discussion in is something that's new for the show and I like it and I'm really intrigued to see where this goes and these are the kinds of um ruminations or philosophical questions we were hoping the show would bring up this season Mm -hmm. it's a really good sign it's really exciting these are the kinds of questions we want them to be asking instead of the debate on how do we survive, but what do we do once we've survived? Um, and what kind of people do we want to be? Yeah. Um, those are exactly the kinds of questions we want to be talking about. So this is all to say, very good job. <laughs> good on you, We're Raiders. Very excited. 
Um, really quickly, I just wanted to con comment on this exchange between Abby and Clark about Maddie because it's adorable and I love it. And this is everything I wanted between Maddie. I mean, between, wow, that was a Freudian slip. Between <laughs> Abby and Clark. And I, this is, their, their relationship is in a really healthy place. They are no longer, you know, it, it wasn't that far long ago where this exchange would have happened and Clark would have reacted very negatively to Abby letting Maddie go. Mm -hmm. um, and it was so refreshing and nice for a change for Clark to be accepting of Matt, of Abby's decisions and, and understanding her motivations and accepting them as the right and best choice. I mean, I really was so concerned when this sentence started and the way that it ended, I was just like, thank God. <laughs> I was so relieved. <laughs> um, so I just, I wanted to point it out because I, I hope that this is, this is the status quo from now on. Yeah. I mean, we saw how intense Clark was about Maddie's safety last season. And it, at the end of last season, she cut the child leash um <laughs> to use a metaphor uh but I also and I, I think that's kind of this part was establishing how Clark was feeling about Maddie and her capabilities um but I also think that this is kind of establishing that Clark and Abby their arc together and their relationship arc might be done like it, they, they might have kind of reached an end point for the, as far as they're going to evolve as mother and daughter. That is exactly what I was just thinking. And, and I, I hope, hope so. so. <laughs> I really do. Because I, I don't, I think they have exhausted this to the point of where like, I would feel really good if we didn't have another challenge. Here. Yeah. I mean, I think Clark and Abby both have people that they need to, um, both have people and relationships they need to evolve further. Um, but I think together, they're good. They're yeah. like set. I feel solid about them. Yeah. Let's keep it that way. Mm -hmm. Um. So Jordan is super restless. And, you know, I feel really bad for this guy. I, he's been stuck on the ship for 26 years. Literally got to Earth a day ago or got to whatever this planet is, Sanctum or whatever, a day ago. And he's being kept inside. And then Miller's like, you can just wait a little bit longer. And I'm like, it's been a long time. I mean, just Miller let the boy out. is super insensitive <laughs> and not the best so it's like you know the thing of like it's been so long what's one more day matter but it's like that one day is the longest day of your life yeah you know I mean just like walk in someone else's shoes Miller <laughs> count him some slack poor Jordan I know he's such a baby so like I'm just not a super <laughs> huge Miller fan it's fine I'm I'm trying to get back to feeling good about Miller I am not trying. He hasn't been trying. I'm not trying. The way that trying. he looks at Clark in her dress later, like, softened me a little bit toward Miller. Mm. I, I will say, you should go back and look at it, because I was like, oh, that's really sweet. He just, like, looked like, oh, you look beautiful. Like, that was, like, his, like, facial expression, and I was like, okay, Miller, I see you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But before we get there, um, so there is apparently a PA system in Sanctum, <laughs> and a woman's voice Siri? Question mark. Uh, that plays, was my joke. That was your joke. I'm taking credit for I, my joke. I think if Becca kind of helped this society at the very beginning, you know, before when the Allegis ship landed, I feel like this is like Ali zero point five. Yeah, this is like her version of Siri. Yeah, Ali zero point five. <laughs> I'm still calling her Siri. Okay. Um. 
So a woman's voice plays out over the whole town, telling them that their daily Tai Chi is starting. Jordan goes outside and sees Delilah, who tells him that she's not supposed to talk to Sky Crew or answer questions, although she seemingly ignores these orders when she tells him that they're starting or that they're staying in her tavern before she becomes a prime tomorrow. Jordan asks if she's a princess, and Delilah laughs and says tomorrow is her naming day when she becomes Priya the Seventh. Clark comes out, angry to find Jordan ignoring the rules Russell set for them, but Delilah tells Clark's guard that Jordan can stay with her. Then Jordan proceeds to tell her the stories about Clark that he was raised on. Um, so, first, they have a PA system. They do. And their PA system announces what seems to be, like, enforced daily activities. It does. It was... I mean, there's so many things in this um, specific episode that, like, makes me feel like we're, like, in this hippie commune. Oh, yeah. No, it's not a good look. And, like, the way that she even describes the daily Tai Chi, I forgot to write it down or I erased it when I wrote it down. But it was, like, uh, come together. We're all, like, one with love and one with each other. Practice your Tai Chi. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's all this, like, you know, hippy-dippy spiritual a lot of spirituality for a place that seems very like prescriptive religion. I was going to say militaristic and prescriptive religious, like both of those things. Yeah. Not super compatible with this like hippy dippy love fest. Yeah. Jumbo. It's odd. Um, yeah. So the PA system like immediately was giving me lost vibes. Yeah, I mean, I think this whole society for me is giving me lost vibes. Oh, seriously. Kind of like when you find the others and their society is nothing like you imagined it would be. Yeah. And it's like both high tech and normal, but also like really weird. And also like a weird 70s vibe. Yeah. Like the aesthetic is like super 70s, which is fair because mm-hmm. um, that's when all the cults happened. Um, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of drugs, lots of psychedelics. Anyway. I mean, we don't know this. They could have had like a resurgence in um, hippy dippy like drugs and you know, we're all going to hold hands and be together yeah. back in, what was Kumbaya. this, like 2040, 2050, whenever the ship, the original Legia ship took off. It's true. Um, but I was just mean, I just meant that like yeah. in Lost, there was like a lot of 70s looks. Yeah. A lot of 70s themes and vibes um, that are also in this show. And it also, it kind of, like when the PA system was going around and they were like, showing you the playground and the swings and the you know the the like jumpy thing I was like (laughs) oh it's like a giant preschool like all these kids quote unquote who are not just kids but fully grown adults doing tai chi are like fall it's like their prescribed exercise time then they'll go to nap time and then it's feeding time and then it's juice time and it's like oh my god it's what kind of juice is it kool-aid it's joe juice (laughs) it's joe juice that's what they're calling it that's it's actually kool-aid anyway um so it's really creepy it's like these grown adults are being treated like children yeah and it's really disturbing and these grown adults act like children in a weird way you know what i mean oh yeah well we'll get into more of that later uh, so why do the primes not want the people of Sanctum to answer any questions? It's odd that they would feel like they had to hide parts of their society unless they were like specifically hiding parts of their society. Oh yeah, it's suspicious. Like coming in and being like, we can't tell you anything. It's like, mm, why? why? <laughs> what are you hiding? Yeah. What are you hiding? Yeah, it's not good. I mean, it's a it's a creepy sign, and I have lost count how many creepy signs there are in this episode that um, 
there's some shit going down on naming day and Delilah doesn't seem super thrilled about it. I mean, clearly the the primes too are saying we don't want Sky Crew to know because they might be a little bit more above level than all of you guys are. <laughs> also, like we don't want them to point out how weird some of this stuff is to you. <laughs> well, right. I I think that's part of it, right? Yeah. Is like they they don't want there to be a contrast yeah. between what is a given as a normal and someone else pointing out what is abnormal. Mm-hmm. Which I think is what you're saying. Yeah. And then also, I think they're concerned that I mean personally and we can get into this later I think all of these people are drugged I think they're literally drinking the Kool-Aid we've been speculating that since the trailer and I'm still 100% on this train and obviously and I don't know if I don't know if if they've actually attempted to like drug or induce anything in the Sky Crew people but I don't think so I don't think they have I think they're in complete control of their faculties and so obviously maybe are a little bit more on quick on the uptake which is why they don't want to tell them anything. I That is kind of one notch against them actually being drugged, is why wouldn't they want to drug the Sky Crew if, you know, they were drugging their people? Maybe I don't know. Maybe because their materials for drugging can only be harvested once a month. During the second, second moon. moon of the, <laughs> middle of the night? I don't know. Um, there's some really weird shit going on here. Anyway. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like you had said, Delilah does not seem thrilled with the idea of becoming Priya the Seventh, which I think tells us something isn't right. Um, just the way that she says it, it's like, oh, yes, tomorrow I become Priya the Seventh. Hallowed be her name. Yeah, I mean, anytime, like we said, anytime you put hallowed be her name in front of something, it's not good. No, because that's what you say about gods. Um, right. About, like, God. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's sacred language. Yeah. Pres- preserved for special humans it's bad guys it's all bad the signs are not good i mean at this point too we're just kind of like you know does naming day mean that she changes her name to priya the seventh this is our first clue that like is this i mean what we assumed was like a ceremonial renaming or is it an actual and yeah like how does one become a prime right yeah all good questions um, I did love Clerk's cute little moment of like eyeing Jordan and Delilah together and being like, I see you guys. Yeah. Uh, so sorry, sorry to interrupt. To interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute. It was like, gosh, mom, get out of here. <laughs> sorry. Um, but as soon as Delilah asked Jordan to tell her stories of Clark and the rest of the group, I was like, no. I know. I was like, Jordan, shut it down. Nope. <laughs> Pure little baby boy. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. But also, like, why would you think that was a good story to tell? Hey, this one time Clark murdered a mountain full of people. Oh, I think How he, crazy, I huh? I think he told Delilah all the stories. Well, I think he told her at least some of the stories. But it's like, like... You know, that's just like, it's like a mindset I don't understand. Like, why would you tell people that these people that you came with murdered a bunch of people on their own planet? I think he's trying to show her, like, the kind of constitution Clark has and what makes her so special. He's so naive. He's just so pure. He doesn't understand that other people can use this against them. Um, Do we think that Delilah sat out to get information from Jordan? Or was this like a lucky coincidence? I actually had the same question written down for you. I feel like it was a lucky coincidence. I, don't I feel think like too. Delilah doesn't really seem that manipulative. Also, there's like, even after all of this happens, she like continues to show interest in him yeah. throughout the rest of the episode, which is like, if she was just using him for this purpose, I feel like she'd be like done. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, no, I think she was like, interesting morsels you just gave me. Let me just like pocket those. those away. <laughs> Do you want to have sex? <laughs> 
put a pin in that. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> so Gaia, Maddie, and Dioza are still frozen, and all they can do is listen to the Grounders 2.0, which I'm hereafter calling the Children of Gabriel, as they talk among themselves. A man, Gio, seemingly wants to slit Dioza's throat for killing one of them, but a woman calls him away. Dioza reveals that she wasn't actually hit with the dart and is just faking being paralyzed, and she asks Maddie to blink out how many of their adversaries there are. The children of Gabriel chop off the heads of the three dead primes while chanting death to primes. They believe when they, the quote-unquote old man sees what they've done, he will quote-unquote come back to them. Bellamy's team hears the yells from the children of Gabriel. Their sanctum guard says it's too late to get to the dropship, and he keeps Kaylee from going further. But Bellamy says his people can take it from there. Yeah, so there's a lot here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, first off, we now have confirmation that Kaylee's family is also made up of primes. Yes. So they are Victor, Faye, and Daniel Prime. Yeah, <laughs> they are primes. That's important. Yeah. Good to know. Um, question. Mm-hmm. Why do they chop off their heads? What? Um, we'll put a pin in that. Yeah. But it was interesting and gross. <laughs> I mean, it, it was certainly uh, enlightening. You know, there's like another, you know, besides the theory we'll talk about later, you could also just say that this is kind of a, like a trophy, trophy that they're taking to prove that like, oh, we killed the primes. Like they're not going to carry their whole body there. Sure. I definitely agree. I think that on any other show, that would be a satisfying answer, but not on this one. Yeah. Um, there's always a reason. There's always a reason, uh, which we will get to in a bit. Um. Yeah. So many more things. So many more things. Namely, who is this old man they're talking about? They are the children of Gabriel, so it could be Gabriel. Even though this has been, it's been two hundred years. Yeah. Um. But we don't know anything about this planet, uh, and what this planet is capable of, and the ways that it like manifests itself in people. Um. So it could, it could just be that Gabriel lived two hundred years for some strange reason. Sure. Maybe he got bit by another snake. <laughs> That gave him immortality. <laughs> Who the hell knows? <laughs> um, it's an immortal giving frog. Yeah. Toad. But we, we can talk about this a little bit more later, but it's just kind of interesting as many times as they say old man in this episode that the, he doesn't, he's not given a name and that's clearly for a reason. Yeah, no, they're and it's, keeping it's it a, from us. It's a contrived reason, you know? Yes. It's not like... They're like, they really would call him old man, but yeah, it's like, no. we don't want you to know who the, the old man is. The reason they're not giving us the name is because we'll recognize yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So that was a scene we had to watch a couple of times just to like get all the dialogue because there's just so much happening. Yeah. This, this whole episode, really, there's so much information. There is so much information. And that's why we, even though I think by the end of this episode, we know a lot more and we know, or we think we know the answers to these questions. I think it's important to say them out loud so we can like, sort of build up to this thesis in yeah. a way that makes coherent sense because this episode was a lot to digest. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of why we're taking it step by step. Yeah. So Murphy is taking shots at the bar and Delilah says they'll harvest tonight and make more alcohol. Murphy teases Jordan about his flirting skills, which are a little bit lacking. Clark comes down in a dress of Delilah's and Abby pulls her aside. Clark is worried about what will happen to their people if Sanctum doesn't let them stay. And Abby says she needs to convince them to just be herself. Don't tell them more than she has to and don't lie. So easy enough, right? Yeah, sure. (laughs) That's fine. Yeah. So another creepy sign that we're in a cult. Who harvests at night? I mean, that's the like that's like even beyond a cult question. There is clearly something. There's something that the moon does. The moons do because there's a first second moon, moon and a second moon. The second moon is playing some sort of role in this harvest. I'm assuming. Um, 
but there there's are these like flowers that only flower at night because there are flowers like that on earth you know oh sure i just think it's really i mean we'll see later in this it's like a large contingent of people that are harvesting at night oh yeah well, there's a lot of people in this society that aren't prime, so there's got to be something for them to do, you know? Right. It's just a weird <laughs> thing. Um, also, yeah. I, excuse me, I love the way Murphy teases Jordan <laughs> and invokes Monty's name. He's, like, just such a proud uncle. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, like, proud, but also like, there's this, like, little bit of sadness because Murphy feels like he can never truly make up... Um, make it up to Monty for saving him Mm -hmm. at the end of last season because now Monty's dead. And so it's like he's trying to find little ways of like helping helping Monty through Jordan. Um, And I think we'll see that maybe continue on this season too. And it's just, it's like cute, but also really sad. It's sad, but it's adorable. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's working on me. I love the way that everyone stares at Clark in that dress. Including me. It's just like her grand descent down the stairs. She looks... Like she princess. looks amazing. Um, they've never seen her in a dress before, to my knowledge. I can't think of a time. Um, and she just, she looks so great and so, like, fresh She's and, like, glowing. summery. She does glowing. And it's just, like, all the smiles on their faces. I mean, the, the jaws dropped. They hit the yeah. floor. They really did. Oh, damn, she looked good. And poor Clark. Abby's just, like... Oh, yeah, Clark, just be yourself. And Clark is like, well, being myself is kind of what got us here to this planet because we destroyed our last one because of me. She's so, she's so self-conscious of, of herself. Yeah. um, And what she's capable of. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for somebody who's so confident and so, you know, charismatic. Yeah. For, for her to, to to doubt herself is is really sad because we have so much faith in her and we know what she's capable of well I think she knows what she's capable of in terms of like getting shit done but she's more concerned of what she's capable of and like making people like her yeah um and I think that's always been you know Clark has always been the head and Bellamy was the heart Bellamy's the one people want to follow and he's the one who inspires people Mm -hmm. and then Clark's the one who inspires Bellamy so I think she's not confident in her ability to like inspire confidence in others and and endear them to (laughs) to her yeah I think that's a good point and that makes me so sad for her because she's she deserves it Um, and we just have to note here, Kane. <laughs> Abby hopes that Sanctum will have medicine to save Kane. I don't really care. But I was like gonna say this feel, felt really kind of self selfish of Abby. I thought so too. And I, she I, was like, I need medicine to save Kane, so you need to get this done. Right. It's like it doesn't <laughs> matter that there are like things on this planet that will kill us if we don't stay here. Like my my number one priority is Kane. We kind of heard that that was gonna be Abby's you know obsession this season, yeah. and I'm like not really here for that plot line so hopefully it's a smaller plot line but we'll we'll see um not too worried about it right now i mean i'm not either because i don't know how often um what's his face is coming back on the show henry and cusick yeah or henry and cusick henry yeah um i thought that clark and murphy too they might have made some sort of strides after last episode i thought maybe murphy would like be a little bit more compassionate toward her but nope it um seems like they're back at square one Murphy's still pissed. <laughs> yeah, still pissed. So much so that he he says some really rude comments. And then I love it because Clark snaps right back at him and is like, there's room for both of us in hell, Murphy. Which, yeah. well, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I like that 
you know, Murphy's the one that Clark defends herself with. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Because out of everyone, she's like, I know I deserve a lot of this, but so do you. So I'm not going to let you give it to me. Yep. I think that's exactly right. Um, she, I do really love watching her defend herself. It's rare. Like we said earlier this season, I, it seems like Murphy's the one she's most comfortable doing it with. And I hope that she starts doing it to others too. I agree. And I do, I do wonder if Murphy hadn't quote unquote gone to hell <laughs> in his last unconscious spout, um, would he be as snippy with Clark? No, I think he's in an incredibly bad mood. Yeah. I, I, I feel like had that not happened, he might have been in a better place with her, but he just isn't. Yeah, no, he's not capable dealing of with it, it right now. Yeah. Right, yeah. So Clark enters the palace where Russell waits with his wife, Simone, and his dog. Clark sits and Simone coerces her to eat some of the strange, exotic food on the table. Simone doesn't like that Clark is here and Clark apologizes for the way, apologizes for the way they were introduced. But she assures Simone and Russell that she and her people just want to start over and do better, just like Sanctum's original founders from Allegius Three. Simone hopes so, given that Clark's people destroyed the planet of their birth. Clark tells her that she was actually born in space, but she gets her point, and the truth is that Clark's people need the people of Sanctum to teach them how to survive on this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a great scene. Um, before we even get to that, I just want to bring in, uh, before this scene starts, there is another voice over the PA saying that tonight's Harvest Festival will begin at first moon, and that's in preparation of Priya the Seventh's naming day. So do we think that naming day always falls on a harvest, or is this just like a convenient thing to happen? Like, is naming day a certain day, like harvest day, or is it just kind of whenever someone comes of age? I don't know. I my inclination would be on a harvest day because that seems more creepy. Yeah. Um. All signs point to that, but I I could be wrong. Unclear to me. Maybe they're harvesting because they need people to be extra compliant. Yeah. For naming yeah. Day. Yeah. I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> um. So something is clearly off about this harvest I mean we've talked about this before but I think it's important to note the language that they're using around it they're calling it a holy a holy harvest it is sacred the bounty of it which is all these huge hugely religious um overtures and biblical language um and well sure I think it's fine I I I don't want to make it sound like the fact that it's Christian in nature is what makes it bad that's not the issue here. I think it is absolutely perfectly fine to have a society based on religion. And, you know, there are so many tenets of Christianity that are about peacekeeping and faith and, you know, generosity of spirit. I have no problem or issue with that. I think what I am continually picking up on and why I keep harping on this is because it's important to recognize that these words that they're using are um, religious in nature but they're being attributed to things in order to keep people in line they're mm-hmm. used and they're being deployed in a way that is manipulative or seems to be um, not in line with how you would generally um, discuss religious texts um, or use these kind of language outside of, of a temple or something or a church or something like that um, because when you have to continually beat on these things over and over again, it suggests that there is no room for for dissent or debate, um, which suggests a totalitarian, totalitarian nature of government. And that's kind of what we're picking up on here is is this there's there's something really 
dark festering in the center of this that is being masked over by these like very flowery very religious friendly words yeah and we can't forget too that we got the specific scene in episode two with the original russell um the fir- one of the first settlers the prime um talking about how this planet made him believe in god again mm-hmm. um and i don't think that was there just because it was a good quote that josephine brought up after that because it was but i think they were specifically calling out the fact that like the russell that perhaps started all of these customs um he he really did base them a lot in the Bible. Sure. And also that he has a God complex. He's a scientist and he has a God complex. And if he's building a society using the tenets of, of Christianity um, in service to himself, you know, it, it there's something sinister in that. Yeah. And in, in self-serving in that. Um, that's suspicious. So, so yeah. there is all of that. Um, okay, moving on. I did want to mention that before we even get a call out to the mountain man, which we do later in this scene, um, there's already these like visual and audio cues that invoke the scene in the dining room from season two. There's the classical music playing. There's, you know, kind of the way the room is set up. There's like, these really bright and vibrant colors. Um, and it all is a call back to season two. Uh, which I think we can talk about a little bit later what, what this kind of means. But I think I really like that just before any of the talking starts, that the, the direction of this scene is, is to help the audience, the viewer, get there so that we're a little bit ahead of where this scene is beforehand. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even notice that when I was watching it, but you're right. Um, what I did notice was there was a bit of a, like, fairy food vibe to this scene. Oh, sure. Um, you know, you eat the fairy food and you have to stay there forever. I don't think they were playing that um, like as an overtone, but just kind of an undertone of like, you know, Simone forcing Clark to eat the food and Clark eating it and what that might mean um, on a contextual level throughout the rest of the season about like Clark and her connection to um, to Sanctum. Um, yeah, I love that. It just like is all this like really exotic looking stuff that I kind of wanted to try myself. Not yeah, why. <laughs> I agree. And I actually wanted to call it out because the way that Eliza portrays the way that Clark eats is fantastic I think it's 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 important to remember that like Clark has not had access to a lot of really delicious food in her life or really real well prepared food in her life and so when she gets it it is such a rare treat and Eliza who is you know the master of all things Clark and is like you know her number one champion I think is so good at tapping into these like tiny little nuances that that round out her character so well it's like yeah Clark when she takes a bite of this she would gasp like in in, you know it would be you know orgasmic to her honestly like it makes sense um and I just I love those like tiny acting choices that Eliza does that makes really a huge difference it reminds me of that time in season four when Murphy cooks for her and like makes her eat it and she's like oh wow (laughs) but also the first time that she ate in under the mountain like with the mountain men Right. I don't remember that as much. It's been a while since I've seen that season. But it was this, like, big important thing. I remember, like, Jasper and Monty were, like, cheering plates. They had chocolate cake and apple pie. mm -hmm. And then Clark takes a bite of the chocolate cake and her whole face changes. Like, it it was, like, very similar. Very similar scene. Yeah. So, throughout this scene, Russell seems like the more sympathetic one who, like, wants to help Clark or at least wants Clark to, like, prove his suspicions wrong um while simone is like very skeptical and hostile from the start um and so we're gonna see that the dynamic continues throughout the next you know few episodes but i am 
curious about what has made Simone this way, you know, like, I I feel like she's weirdly hostile and maybe she has experienced something like this before where someone comes into their society and like screws it up. Yeah. Or, or maybe it's just this like recent um, situation with the children of Gabriel that's making her really on edge Mm -hmm. where she's less trustworthy of people than she used to be on I also think it's interesting that she seems to be a little bit more aggressive in private when it's just her and Russell than in public where she seems to be a little bit more um, like she lets she takes the backseat. Yeah. Where Russell, you know, gives her like hints and things and she, she takes them into consideration. Um, where here she, she really doesn't care at all. <laughs> She's <laughs> very happy to do what and will she, she wants to do. Yeah, it's almost this, like, weirdly traditional view of, like, the husband and wife. Yes. Yeah, um, that's kind of what I was getting to earlier when I was saying she was so traditional. Which I don't understand. love. I mean, I, I guess I understand, but I don't love it. But I also, I think it makes sense if, like, Russell's considered the leader and she's just his wife. I mean, like, it's, yeah. it's really a question of, like, how are leaders chosen? What are the ni- dynamics within the primes that I, I want to know more about? Right. I also am, is, it, is it a question of certain, is it just hierarchy or are there gender dynamics at play? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know that we can answer that yet. No. We have got no gender dynamics whatsoever. I'm, like, completely unsure of, like, the way that women are viewed in this society versus men. Yeah. Um, I hope it's, like, nice and equal. <laughs> or maybe not because they seem to be evil, so. I mean, but they can be evil in their equality it can be feminist and evil yeah yeah it's not mutually <laughs> <I don't> exclusive <laughs> um clark really can't resist with the like i was actually born in space but okay like little bit there and you know it's a tense situation but she still kind of brings in that bit of levity so like my question is was she just trying to make a joke and to like lighten the mood a little bit or was she kind of snapping back subtly at the way that Simone was like attacking her I actually think it was a way of of her very calmly and effectively demonstrating to them that they don't know everything about them yeah that their preconceived assumptions may be wrong and there's a lot to off that they can offer them and and they just keep their minds open because you're right Simone's very hostile and I think this is a, a tool to sort of disarm her yeah, I like that. I yeah. like that explanation. Um, and then Clark reminds them that they're the, that their ancestors uh, did destroy Earth, but that they're also the ancestors of the Sanctum people. Um, and those words like reach Russell in an odd way. And I wish I had like looked up the um, the scene that the hundred writers released that was like this full scene. And there was like something in the um, in the way that they wrote it that like. Russell like really takes this in for a moment and like kind of like like makes him think. Mm. Um, and so it seems like there's like a little bit more to that than we might even see here. But the eye. Like Russell sometimes forgets that like his people also came from Earth. Yeah. And what that means for them. Or maybe maybe they're not ancestors at all. Yeah, I mean. Get into that. <laughs> um, so Simone asks Clark how many people she's killed and she drops the name Juanheta. Clark realizes that Jordan told them about her and Russell says they know how she went into the protected compound and murdered everyone inside. Clark says the mountain men were going to kill everyone she cares about, and she did what she had to to save her people. Simone challenges her, asking her if she'd do it again, and Clark refuses to apologize for saving the people she loves. Russell says that his people are not her people, and he must protect the people that he loves, too. Um, 
damn it, Jordan. Like, damn it, Jordan. Damn it, Jordan. <laughs> we are really seeing his naivety and de- dealing with people. And, you know, no one else in Sky Crew would have told Delilah this, no matter how hot they thought she was. No, no. I mean, and I don't even blame Jordan because he has no well, experience I mean, like, again, with this. He's very naive. He's like only known and he couple only people. Had Monty and Harper. Like, it's not like he grew up with Murphy in space <laughs> or Clark. Yeah. You know, he had the, the most trusting, pure, innocent trusting, people. trusting, generous parents. There is no way he could have been prepared for this kind of deception or manipulation. I don't know. Harper was a little bit, you know, more with it. With it. I mean, not with it, because it's not like Monty wasn't with it, but he just, he, like, chose to believe the best in people. I think Harper had, like, a little bit more of a realistic view of people, but she, you know, but she I, was leveled by Monty. I think in their, like, oasis in space that just their tiny little family I don't see a lot of opportunity for them to be like when you encounter humanity it's going to be not like us you know I don't see those lessons being taught on a daily basis to him I think it would have probably cut that out of this curriculum I'm curious at what age Jordan got to hear the story of Clark murdering all the men women and children in the mountain yeah like that's not really a great bedtime story no so like at what point was he like old enough then to be like this is what happened. Clark murdered a bunch of people. I was also part of that. I did I did help her. <laughs> Maybe before they put him in cryo, or he wanted to go in cryo, they were like, he, let me tell you all the stories of like our people so you can carry them with you. I mean, I would think that they would have, that he would have known before, before that, that because he was 26 when he went into cryo. So like, oh, that's true. I hope that he knew someone. I keep someone. forgetting he's 26. I know. He doesn't I keep seem he's like, like it. 16. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, I did want to talk about the way that Clark defends herself and refuses to apologize to these people. I love it. Um, they have, I mean, I just, I think it's really important for Clark or to show Clark who has struggled with her past sins, um, to stand up for herself and defend her actions to these people who have no right to judge her. They were, they were not there. Um, and I think it's great to see Clark really for the first time acknowledge her actions and own them um, because they happened and there's no erasing them, obviously. But that doesn't mean that it has to define her forever, Mm -hmm. that she still has the ability to move on to make a future for herself, carrying these things forward, but not as a burden. Um, And this is the kind of growth that I wanted from her this season. I think this is the first step in a many, many step progression getting her to a place um that's healthier and this was a really good step for me first step anyway yeah I mean I it's gotta be hard seeing all of your sins kind of lined out in front of you but it's especially irritating from Clark's point of view when these people who are like talking to her are the leaders of their community and you know no matter what theories we have do not tell me they haven't committed sins to save their people you know what i mean like sure. as leaders you sometimes have to make hard choices to protect people and i think that it's like a little bit hypocritical um for them to come at clark for her own sins but you know for her not to know any of theirs yeah absolutely it's totally one-sided um and i just i really love it could it would have been so easy for her to bow in acquiescence and be like you're right I did all those things. I'm really sorry. We'll do better and be compliant in a in an effort to sway them to her side. Mm-hmm. Um, but she doesn't. She holds her ground. And I think even though they 
fundamentally disagree about their nature of whether or not they can change, I think she wins their respect in that way. I agree. And I kind of swinging off what you said about um, Clark acquiescing or choosing not to acquiesce in this case. Um, it is interesting to me that Clark a few episodes ago said that if she could go back, she would do things differently. Um, and I think she was specifically talking about what she did with um, Maddie and McCreary and all of them. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of things that could be construed as mistakes that she's made in her life. I don't know if I think they're mistakes, but some people might. Um, and she really is so dedicated to doing better and to like being a peaceful person who chooses, you know, to not fight, who chooses to not hurt, to just like be happy and be at peace. Um, but she still says like she wouldn't make a different choice in the mountain man situation. Yeah. Um, and we do see in the trailer for this season that at some point Clark finds herself back in that weather, which is like presumably in some sort of simulation or dream or something. So I think we're going to see that put to the test as like, you know, if she has to go back to the worst moments in her life, would she make the same decisions? Um, does she still think those decisions were justifiable? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. So let's talk about this Mountain Men um, allegory that we're getting in this scene, because I think it's obviously a conscious choice <laughs> on the writer's part um and I think I mean most specifically it's it's a warning you know we've 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 this is song and dance we've seen before we've been taken in by strangers they shared their table with us they you know were very kind and accepting and helpful and blah 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 but it didn't go very well um because they were wolves in sheep's clothing and I think that this scene more than anything else is a warning that we need to be very careful with these people. You know, the more I think about it, the more I wonder if the writers are specifically calling up pieces of every single season of The 100 and putting it in a new context of like doing better. We saw a lot in the first episode, maybe two um, of season one. Yeah. Now we're seeing some of season two. Um, I think it's very likely we're going to get something along the lines of season three where we learned about Becca and Allie. Um, or did we learn about Becca in season three? Yeah. We learned about Allie for sure in season three. I think Becca was like a well, little okay, bit of yeah, it. But that's fair. And then season four where we really got some int uh, insight into Becca and the ways that she worked with Allegius. And then even season five with like the Garden of Eden and, you know, protecting a place that's really special. I, I wonder if we're going to kind of go through these one by one every season and explore different parallels to yeah, that and, and like this is like the mountain men exploration yeah maybe and sort of break them down and put them back together in new interesting ways yeah yeah I love that I hope so that's really cool uh Russell notes that Clark has 400 criminals asleep on her ship and Clark says they just want a second chance at that phrase Russell tells her the story of a dog who bit him who his father gave a second chance that dog went on to kill his baby sister Clark tries to convince him that they can change, and Russell says he believes they want to, he just doesn't believe they can. Violence is contagious, and he can't let her people spread this disease. He can't allow her to stay in sanctum. So from this conversation, it really sounds to me like Russell would have, like, deaf totes let them stay in sanctum if he hadn't heard Jordan's stories. Mm -hmm. I, I really do think he'd made up his mind earlier, like, yeah, I guess we can give him a shot. And then you know, before Clark actually came into the palace and he heard these stories, he was like, actually, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but like, let's let her try to defend herself anyway, you know? Yeah. Um, I think there's like a part of him that wanted her to convince him otherwise, um, but she didn't. Yeah. <laughs> she, she couldn't say, I wouldn't do the same things. And I think that's what he needed to hear. Yeah. And I'm glad she didn't say that. Yeah. Because it would have been a lie. Yeah. 
Um, this is the creepiest dog story ever told. <laughs> um, please, somebody take that dog away from him. He is no longer a trustworthy pet owner, and I am frightened for this dog. Yeah. I did not appreciate him, like, petting the dog as he told the Feeding story. Feeding the dog. <laughs> Feeding the dog. What is in the food? I mean, Kool-Aid. <laughs> I, I am deeply suspicious. This is my love, my joy. My whole world revolves around this dog now. It was weird. But what's also weird is that there doesn't seem to be any other pets in this in this place. Mm-hmm. Like, is that just, uh, like, the show can't really afford other animals? They just have one animal to, like, come on the show to show that there are animals? Yeah. Or is there something weird happening with this specific animal? I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um... But real talk, though, do we think that Clark's people can change? No. (laughs) I mean, I guess that's my second question is, do we think they need to change? Yes. (laughs) I mean, okay, I I think it's it's a matter of degrees, right? I don't know if, I mean, because their group is a microcosm of humanity. I don't think humanity can exist without conflict. We have already stated this. I think they particularly are a rather aggressive and violent group given all the things they have seen and done in their life. And it would be nice if they would just like chill for a little bit. Um, so in that sense, like, yes, they do need to change because I think they need to, to stop the violence. And I think everyone needs to be um, responsible for their own actions. But I also think that, like, as a group of people, by the nature of them by being defined as people, like, I don't think they're 100% completely capable of change. Yeah, I would say they can change to an extent. They can change their goals. Degrees. They can change their goals of, like, this is how we want to deal with things. We don't want to survive. We want to, like, thrive. Uh And that's a different thing. Um, But... That only goes so far when you are coming up against people who don't have those same goals. And I'm also super, super worried, as Russell is, about the, like, rapists, thieves, and murderers who are on their ship who really, you know, I don't, what have they done to deserve a second chance at this point? Like, at least our group has worked for it. I mean, exactly. That's the rub of this conversation, right? Is that, like, nothing Russell is saying here about violence as a contagion is incorrect. Like no, he, he is right. Um, he's very right, especially about the criminals. I think it's unfortunate that he happens to be right and that we're not on his side because now we can't stay. But I mean, I think what's most unfortunate is that Clark has those extra people in tow because I do think if it were just Clark's like sky group. crew people, like even the grounder, like the, the old original grounders who are part of one crew, I think they've all been through enough on the old planet. They're able to like decide to do better um maybe not octavia yet but we'll get there but with these other like 400 criminals they just got back last season after being in cryo sleep um so like they really haven't had the chance to like experience the highs and lows of being on earth um and so they really haven't done anything to justify you know allowing them into peaceful society yeah i think that's a good point but of course we can't just like kill them or throw them away because that kind of takes away the point of us being good people and I think that's kind of the question that Russell's running into is like 
yes, if we don't help you, then we are going to be in some part the cause of your deaths because we know you can't survive without us. Um, but we also like have to protect our own people. So like, where is the line and who is your loyalty to? Right. Um, I guess going back to, to whether I think Clark and her friends need to change, I don't think they do for most of the decisions they've made only because they're always faced with these impossible choices that there's like no good decision to make. So yeah. like, it's not like you can like change your decision because there's other bad decisions out there too. Like there's no good decision. Yeah. Um, I would like them in this season to start having some like good decisions. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or at least good options. Yeah. I, I just, I just, I think that there's only so much they can do after deciding to change. Like other people, the Sanctum people, Children of Gabriel, the 400 to sleep, they all have to decide to, you know, be better people or at least be good people too. Right. That was exactly what I'm saying is like everyone is responsible for your own actions. Yeah. Like, and that's kind of part of the whole bargain of humanity and what we owe to each other to borrow from my yes. favorite show. The, the Good, good Place. place. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, I, th- I think those are the kinds of questions we grapple with on this show. Yeah. Um, and then just brief little side note here. So Russell says they presume this is now the last outpost of humanity. But is that true? Um, you know, we don't know what Russell knows at this point, but we know that Allegis 3 dropped off, I think, four other exploratory groups on different planets. Um, so that really does mean there is the potential for four other human societies out there in the universe. Um, I don't know if this will ever matter. But it's kind of cool to think about. Yeah, I think it's really cool to think about. And I actually think Russell is aware of this. But I think since there hasn't been any confirmation from those other three or four exploratory missions that he has to assume by the nature of silence that they are the last outpost of humanity. And and in that way, he needs to safeguard it um, because that's his job. Yeah, I mean, like, I see him presuming that, but I also think it's interesting, like, it's not like Earth heard from this Allegius outpost, so I think there's a good chance that there are others out there. Now, they all sound like they might not be as Earth-like as this one, so maybe we don't want to go there or, like, see from these people, but, you know, yeah, there's always maybe season 12. Maybe they have, like, gills and scales and Maybe, things. maybe they've evolved a lot in maybe 200 years. I don't know. <laughs> Back at the dropship, Geo says that it's second moon and they're about to grab the hosts. A woman says they've got the primes and the guns. They should just take their win and go home. Another man says Sanctum is their home and he won't abandon his people on the inside. The woman says that if their people can't get the hosts, they'll kill them. Either way, no naming day, which is what the old man would have wanted. The man then tells her to take the heads and the weapons to the rendezvous point and they'll wait as long as they can before following. The woman agrees and they all chant that death is life couple of things to run through here first off so it sounds like the children of Gabriel or at least this small faction of them are exiles and they seems like they grew up inside of Sanctum do we think all of the exiles grew up inside of Sanctum or there's another faction out there I think I think these exiles might be older than we think they are like as in terms of like how long they've been around I think some of them might be um they might have been born outside of the sanctum walls Mm -hmm. there's one in particular Xavier who I do feel was born outside of sanctum um we'll get to him later 
I just have like a, a weird feeling about it. Um, with the people who are talking in this specific group, I do think there is a large sect who um, were exiled from Sanctum. I don't know if maybe that's how Sanctum deals with um, criminals. Maybe like like it's kind of like floating them, right. um, but instead of like floating them out into space, it's like floating them out into the hostile forest. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's because they, you know, maybe it could be for any crime, but it also could be because they weren't deferring to the primes in the way that they should be. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of why they got picked up by the children of Gabriel. Um, I don't know, but I, I do think there's like a mixture of people who were like born into the children of Gabriel specifically and people who were adopted into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my other question is, if the old man doesn't live in Sanctum, where is he? And who is he? I mean, and who is he? Yes. I mean, they do seem to know where he is. So, I mean, we'll, you know, hopefully find out. I'm assuming we'll find out more about that. But um, it, he kind of, it sounds like he's isolated himself in some way. Or at least he's isolated himself from them. Mm-hmm. He might still have, like, his own faction that he lives with. But And we know his primary goal is the ceasing of naming days thus forth. Well... We or at know least we, that 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 that, he, that would please him. We know that they think that would please him. Yeah. We really don't know much about the children, like the the like old man. So I'm assuming this is the leader of the children of Gabriel. We right. don't know much about his goals or what he wants. Um, I think it's likely it's death to primes, but but who knows? Yeah, it's just interesting to think about why he would be interested in stopping naming day, and yeah. what kind of inside knowledge he has about that. Yeah. Um, so it is clear later on that the hosts are people who are going to be primes at some point. Um, so what makes these people special? Is it Nightblood like Russell later proves that he has? Um, or is there some other quality that makes them like candidates to be hosts? Personally, I'm assuming it's Nightblood. I think it's the Nightblood. Um, but it could be something else too. I mean, we yeah, really we don't rule it out. We don't know a lot about what naming day entails. Um, Yeah. That there could be like a special quality that makes you chosen for primehood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think from what we see at the end of this episode, it's pointing towards the Nightblood, but yeah. I don't know. Um, are the children of Gabriel totally united? Because it does sound like there could be different factions of them, even within this like group. Um, you know, the the leader of their group, who I'm assuming is the old man. It, it seems like he's estranged from this group in some way and they want to like get back into his good graces. So like were they exiled from both Sanctum and the children of Gabriel? Yeah. Or is the old man, did he kind of like isolate himself from all of children of Gabriel and like this is kind of one faction and he's like not quite part of it anymore? Or is this it? Did they, are they not exiled but did they just flee? Yeah. And are calling themselves the children of Gabriel and, and this is all there is. That's true. We it's don't know. Possible. Um, last thing I wanted to call out here is this death of is life mantra, which is an inversion of something that Russell had said earlier in this episode when Murphy was dying. Russell had said, death is not the end. Um, and I feel like this death is life mantra is like a, is a reference to that, but it's been repurposed in a way that could mean that the only true life is a life that ends in death, right? Is that yeah. there's no real living if you live forever mm-hmm. and that death by by dying you have actually lived a fuller and more purposeful life yeah it's like the idea of death is what gives life its sweetness and its meaning and its meaning um 
and I think this is one of the phrases that kind of really leads into um, a theory that we had and also a large part of the fandom has had as well. Um, you know, things that we talked about from back in the trailer that are now going not quite how we expected, but, you know, still playing into some same themes. So we're going to get to that in a second. Um, yeah. But I did really love this phrasing here of death is life. It's, I think it's a pretty damn good mantra. Children great, of, of Gabriel. Chant. Great <laughs> chant. Back in the trees, Bellamy and his team are trying to listen in on the children of Gabriel. Bellamy wants them to wait until the woman takes the gun and leaves, but Octavia attacks them anyway, killing them all with Dioza's help, who's furious that Octavia attacked when their enemy was, was withdrawing. Bellamy gets Maddie and Gaia and orders everyone on the ship before they come back, but he won't let Octavia on board. They've all been given a second chance, and he won't let her screw it up. Then he shuts the dropship door on her, leaving her on the planet alone. So, again, we see Octavia refuse to heed Bellamy's caution. You know, she still has this bloodlust and will seize any excuse for violence. I mean, she's, again, begging for death, waiting for yeah. somebody to kill her. Yeah, she wants to she die. She wants she's, to die. She's throwing herself in these fights because I think deep down she wants someone to be able to kill her. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's, you know, the idea of, like, I think she'd rather go out fighting. Yeah, she wants, a in her mind, a noble death. Mm-hmm than just sitting there in misery. Yeah. Um, we do see kind of one of the differences between Octavia and Dioser Dioza here. Um, even though they're both, you could construe them both as cold-blooded murderers. You could. Um, Octavia is very reckless, while Dioza is very calculating in her violence. And precious, you know, of life. Well, there I mean, no I think... need to kill them. I yeah. Mean, I think that they were valuable for information for starters yeah but i also think that i mean dioza doesn't waste well dioza murders for necessity like i don't think she feels bad about it but i also don't think she like likes murder yeah you know? she doesn't have bloodlust yeah yeah um this line that bellamy tells octavia as he's closing the dropship door on her until you can answer that question yourself you're on your own is a fantastic line and i think is a challenge that the kind of challenge that I, that Octavia needs she like this is exactly what I want her to do I want her to ask herself this question of like if you if this is what winning looks like to you what why is this bad and come up with an answer and she needs to answer this and then once she does I think we'll be in a good place better place at better least. better place yeah I mean I think this is something that we've talked about Octavia needing for a while which is just to be on her own and like to go on a walkabout <laughs> yep. she needs some time yeah cool off collect yourself she needs to find who she is again outside of Bloodrena. yeah and outside of really all of the different roles that she's taken on since they landed uh, you know six seven years ago i would say she needs to find herself period because they never i don't think she's ever had an opportunity to do that well that's what i'm saying she's taken on many faces yeah um but none of them are like the true Octavia and she needs to find that person before she's going to be able to move on. Yep. How much of an internal conflict do you think was in Bellamy when he cast her out? I think Bellamy, you know, deep down doesn't want to do this, but I also think he's been subconsciously looking for an excuse to do this Mm -hmm. because I think he knows that she needs it. And he also knows that she 
can't be with them because she will screw things up no matter you know what's going on she's gonna be a problem yeah um so I think like he it's like not that he wanted to do it but also like he wanted to do it you know what I mean yeah (laughs) that makes sense what about you what do you think yeah I think so I think it it's a struggle for him because a large part of him will always love her and you will never I mean she's family yeah but I think that he is so tired of being betrayed by her if you will you know mm-hmm. or abused by her if you will no not not my words guys um and well, that's true she no, she has <laughs> yeah. I mean and, and and really taken for granted by her that mm-hmm. I think there is a part of him that really can't take it anymore I think he's done. Yeah, I mean, he's given her so many chances, and she just keeps proving that she's not able to handle being in civilized society. And, you know, what else can you do? Yeah, she's a rabid dog. Um, I don't know if it was necessary for him to tell her that his sister died a long time ago. You know, she was already leaving at that point, but, like, he felt like he had to say it to her as, like, one last parting shot. Um, He, like, just threw it in her face. Um, And it was obviously, like, very hurtful words and things that he had kind of alluded to um, previously last season as well. But, like, hearing it out loud, it had to be hard for Octavia. Um, But then also, not just hard for her, but isolating for her. Because Bellamy was always the one person who was kind of on her side even when he didn't need to be or she didn't deserve it. And the one person who she still clings to, we've seen this season, as, like, her other purpose is, like, where are you going? She's like, I'm going to the planet to protect my brother. I'm going to go find him. I'm going to save him. And Bellamy is like, I don't want your help. I don't want you to save me. Face, save yourself. Like, yeah. get, leave me alone. <laughs> Deal with you. Um, Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not good. Uh, Echo, Echo has a really inscrutable look on her face when he tells um, Octavia this. And I had a really hard time reading it. What did you think she was, what did you think her expression meant? I, I just thought she was sad for him sad for him because she knows how like deep down how much this hurts him um, and she's like trying to be there for him but she also doesn't really know what do you say in a situation like yeah. this like she's just trying to provide some sort of like emotional support silently yeah <laughs> okay for me I didn't that's know what if I, I needed to read more into that or not but I think that's fair I don't think so okay. but Jordan sees Delilah outside staring at the sky. She says she loves Second Moon, that it's only visible for a few minutes a night and then gone. She's been excited for naming day her whole life, but now she says that Jordan makes her wish she had more time. They kiss, but before they can go much further, Jordan is knocked out and Delilah is kidnapped by one of the children of Gabriel. Okay, so what is the deal with Second Moon? What is the deal with the Second Moon? So many questions. I don't know. Is it like, I'm trying to wonder... If it relates to the harvest in the same way that, like, our moon relates to um, the tides. Yes. Is there, like, some way that the, like, second moon makes the harvest come of age? What I don't, I'm not a farmer. What's the word? The harvest become ready to harvest? <laughs> Ripen? Ripen, yes. Yes, sure. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> we podcast. We're good at words. Um... Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, too, is that there's clearly something that's tied. There's a connection between you've got first moon, the second moon, this harvest, naming day, children of Gabriel know about naming day. They have this intel. They're waiting for the second moon. So it's like their opportune moment. All of these things are in play. 
And I think obviously we get some ideas about some things at the end of this episode, but the second moon piece is a giant question mark. I really have very few theories about it. I'm very confused by the like significance of the second moon. Yeah, I don't know. Because it it's... sounds like it comes out every night, so it's not like something that just like comes around every once in a while. Right. But like, why is this... Why is this harvest different from all their yeah. harvest? And like they said on the PA system that the harvest began at first moon. So what's the deal with second moon? And then being like, it's almost second moon. Like it's, right. you know, it's that just, doesn't seem like it's connected specifically to the harvest, but that the harvest, like something happens to the harvest during the second yeah. moon. I don't know. Or maybe, maybe this is just like one of those yeah. things where they were like, these is, this is some weird planetary shit and it doesn't really pay off. I'm not sure. Well, it could just be like, that's how they tell time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's what I'm saying. It could just be some like astrological thing yep. and we might we're be overthinking way it. too much into this. <laughs> but I think something is weird. It sure sounds weird. Um, so this scene too makes it pretty clear that naming day is not just when Delilah gets a new name. Like she makes it sound like she's going to die. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which is, again, kind of another piece in the puzzle of the theory that we all grew from this episode. Um, what is naming day and what happens to Delilah and why is she treating this like her last night? Right. I mean, and jo- poor Jordan is either really dumb or really horny not to be picking up on this jive that she's got. I mean, I think it's been clear this episode that Jordan is just super naive and, yeah. like, doesn't, like, have any... He doesn't believe in, like... He's not able to see nefarious schemes behind, like, the outward appearance. Right. I mean, he still thinks that she's going to become a princess A princess, tomorrow. yeah. Um, but it does seem like this really is her last night and that she's going to make the most of it, a la Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, all signs point to her dying tomorrow, um, which begs the question, at this point, are we rooting for Delilah to get kidnapped? You know? Because they do call out death to primes. So are they saving the hosts? I, you know... It's hard because I really like Delilah. Like, I've, like, come to really like her in just one episode. Yeah, she's I very charismatic. She's, yeah, she's got a presence to her, that actress does. Um, and so, like, I don't want her to be hurt. But I also, deep down, really want to see Naming Day. <laughs> so it's like, I don't want to sacrifice you, Delilah, just so I can see Naming Day. But also, I really want to see Naming Day. <laughs> yeah, I think my the purpose of my question, the nature of my question, or spirit, purpose, nature, spirit, all the yeah. same. Yeah is like who are the real villains here well i i I mean that is the question is anyone a villain or is anyone not a villain you know they might both be the villains i think at the beginning of this episode we are led to believe that the children of gabriel are terrorists Mm -hmm. and sanctum is a safe sanctuary but now by the end of this episode we're starting to see that the children of gabriel have really valid reasons for wanting to rescue or kidnap these people depending on who you ask um, and maybe we don't, we shouldn't be we're concerned about them as much as we thought we were. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know if I believe in, like, forcibly stealing people <laughs> and, like, you know, making choices for them. Um, That's fair, but But also- it's also, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how much the people outside of the Primes know about the specifics of Naming Day. Like, they know, in general, what happens, I'm assuming, but they don't necessarily know how it happens, you yeah. know what I mean? So, like... You know, maybe if Delilah knew more about what naming day was, would she be so gung-ho about it? And maybe they do all know exactly what it is. Um, well, I, right. I don't know. I mean, I think it's a question of, like, we if, don't know. if they're all drinking the Kool-Aid and they and this is the 
the life they lead and this is what's normal to them are they even in a position to be making informed choices about their life and if that's the case then maybe somebody should intervene well i mean it's, it does raise an interesting question about consent on both sides yeah um because is it an informed decision i don't know is it okay to steal people? No. So it's like, it's, right. you know, it's like, I don't know. Right. <laughs> I don't know. It's a gray area. And we're back. Abby tries to comfort Murphy, saying there's no hell and that at the end of their lives, they're not going to be judged for the things they did to survive. They'll be judged for the reasons they did them. But Murphy says he did those things to save his own ass. Clark comes back in and tells everyone that they're screwed because Jordan told the Primes everything. But when she goes to find Jordan, she finds him hurt. Jordan points to the ground where a child of Gabriel is running away with Delilah in his arms. The guard, Cassius, tells Clark that they'll use the harvest to get Delilah out of Sanctum, and he asks her to help him. Um, so the Abby and Murphy discussion here is so great. And like this is exactly the kind of moment that I have been wanting for the show all of last season and we just didn't get it it's mm -hmm. like these like really intense philosophical character moments that don't necessarily add to the plot but they add to like who these characters are and who they're becoming in their development sure yeah and I, I just I loved it so much and I love the way that Abby kind of phrased this quote about like being judged for the things that they do and the reasons that they did them um, and I, I kind of want to ask, like, do you agree? Do you think that that's how the afterlife should or, or would work? Oh, man. I think if I had an answer to this question, I'd be way more religious. I mean, I mean, the question is, like, something we've discussed for many seasons now, which is, do the ends justify the means? Yeah. And, um, and do good intentions matter? matter? Do they matter when you do bad things? Yeah. Um, and that's not a question that I think anyone can truly answer. No. Um, but it is one that the hundred has been thinking about for a long time it's and is now primary question is now asking kind of a different level of this as well um as like morally at the end of your life what matters and what doesn't yeah what's, what's important some total of, mm -hmm. of your deeds um i've been watching the society on netflix which just came out and it has some really interesting similarities to the hundred especially uh season one um with like the lord of the flies aspect of it mm. um and one of the characters in that show mentions that his favorite line from a play is essentially um something like god doesn't punish people for specific things they do he punishes them in general for no reason um and it's kind of like this idea that like there are no true answers in life and there are no reasons that things happen you just have to make do with what you're given and sometimes what you're given sucks nihilism um, and that's you know something that the hundred has faced quite a lot they always have bad decisions given to them and it's like choosing the best one out of bad decisions is still a bad decision yeah it sucks um so i just, I just like that the hundred is again playing into this really fascinating exploration of morality and forgiveness and pain and some sort of afterlife um, not even afterlife, but some sort of, like you said, the sum of a life. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. And after all of that beautiful analysis you just did, I just wanted to call out that <laughs> I love that we're now calling Clark's regular outfit her murder gear. I mean, let's be fair. It's definitely your murder gear. I just gear. thought that was adorable. <laughs> She was in her princess dress. Now she's back in her murder gear. Yeah. <laughs> it's just two modes. Thank you, Murphy. <laughs> so Cassius and Clark run through the fields, dodging harvesters. Cassius is overturning wheelbarrows, looking for Delilah. Del 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 <laughs> Whoa. It's been a long episode, guys. <laughs> 
Cassius is overturning wheelbarrows looking for Delilah. He you can't says, say that word. What? You cannot say I that word. I said Delilah. You said wheelbarrow. Wheelbarrows? There you go. I said wheel. You We're going to play that back. <laughs> Cassius is overturning wheelbarrows. There you go. Looking for Delilah. He says he has to warn Russell and tells Clark to keep looking. Clark sees the man and tackles him, but not before he cuts her with a knife. He sees that Clark has night blood, but he's able to escape when Cassius and Russell show up. He seems surprised, or Russell seems surprised to see Clark's black blood as well. Hmm. So what's the deal with the crazy hippies harvesting? <laughs> like, are they on drugs is it's, the question. It's the millionth creepy sign we're in a cult. I mean, how they don't even notice the mayhem. There is a man. He's kidnapping someone. He's got a knife. Clark is screaming. And they're all just like dancing and like swinging they around are. and it's harvesting. Like, it's like the moon. It's. Oh, my God. I'm just having a thought. It, like, I don't think the moon makes them go crazy. Is that what you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, I was going to be like, is it like the second sun? I don't think so, specifically because it's out every night. Um, and that just seems like that would be a lot. Well, but in the way that the sun makes them, like, aggressive, does the moon calm them? But they are not acting calm. They're, well, like, they're acting, acting like they're very... on LSD. Well, okay, but they're acting like they're numb to things. I mean... Maybe I, I don't, don't know. know if that's why Delilah likes watching the second moon because maybe it takes away her pain. Yeah, I don't um, know. And like perhaps that's what black blood protects you from because the primes aren't acting crazy. Although to be fair, Cassius is not a prime and he's not acting you know wild like that. That's um, true. I don't know. Like maybe I could, see, just I could all- see the reason that the children of Gabriel picked the second son if this was the case was like they'll all be so distracted on their LSD yeah, trip yeah. that they won't see us. But I think that that is it's like, just like missing. There's too, there's too many people unaffected for yeah. that to be the reason. I hear you. That makes sense. Okay. We're striking that theory from the record. Let's not strike it. Let's just like put it on the back burner. Yeah, Maybe we'll, there's like we'll, some truth we'll put to that it. in the back seat. Yeah. Um, no, but it, I, I still think there's, there's, there punches being spiked. Oh, for sure. I, I don't show. know if it's like they're willingly drugging themselves for this specific ceremony and it's like part of a like kool-aid tradition or if it's they're they've been drugged repeatedly and they don't and it's against their will and they're unaware of it i think if they are being drugged it's very possible that they are aware of it but it's like part of their spirituality like they they're so used to it like like in the giver how they like take their own yeah like yeah medicine Mm -hmm. to make them compliant yeah I, i i think that would be the most realistic because them you know not being able to figure out after 200 years they that they're just being seem drugged. so trippy yeah it, it was very odd um yeah i don't know well i don't know if we're gonna get an answer on this but i, I want know. one um clark again is a bamf who gets shit done no matter what planet she's on like it's always clark you know, like, Clark's the one in here, like, tackling this guy, saving Delilah. Yeah, they're lucky she was there. So lucky. Everyone's lucky that Clark is there. God, because <laughs> Cassius is useless. He really is. He's like, I'm just going to go find Russell. I don't know He's what to do. bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of when Dio... Never mind. I'll tell you later. <laughs> Um, it doesn't seem like a good sign that the children of Gabriel not know that Clark is a nightblood. Yeah, that doesn't seem good. Uh, it seems like it's going to be a big deal. Problem. <laughs> big problem. 
as they steal a child with night blood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Clark and Russell are sitting together in a greenhouse. Russell explains the toxin was paralyzed, or the toxin that paralyzed Delilah was derived from a beetle his daughter discovered. Clark didn't know he had a daughter, and Russell says she died during a fall six years ago. The dictator, the dictator, <laughs> it's been a long episode, guys. The doctor, Killian, is looking at her wound. He says that Murphy has red blood, and Clark says most people do. Russell shows Clark that he also has black blood, royal blood, as mm. he calls it. Then a woman, Miranda, comes to Russell in tears. The children of Gabriel took her rose. Russell starts to say they won't be able to get through the shield. Before he can finish, Clark's friends show up with the dropship, and Sanctum lowers the shield for them. Russell realizes with horror that this was their plan all along. So this is kind of the final scene that helped us put some things together this episode. Yeah. Um, so my first question, is Rose Miranda's adoptive daughter? Um, I don't think that it's her real daughter because Miranda is black or biracial. Um, she's not white and Rose is like very white with light hair. Yeah. So it seems unlikely that it's her biological daughter. Mm -hmm. um, but she does seem to have some sort of connection with Rose. So again, is it her adoptive daughter or is rose something else um because miranda asks russell if he'd be so calm if it were his daughter's turn mm -hmm. and i think we're meant to assume she's asking about like rose if she's like she's referring to her daughter being rose right um that's the like easy interpretation yeah but the more we thought about this the more it's like we couldn't figure out what she was trying to say by that right until we kind of pinpointed our theory um, so, like, this was kind of the final bit of information we needed to start putting pieces together. It does seem like the primes are being reincarnated in some, you know, bodies over and over again. Like, yes. that is kind of what we'd come to in this episode. Um, we weren't sure if it's, like, a version of the flame or is there some other way that this is, you know, happening over and over again? Is it a biological thing with um, the planets? Like, does the green swirly do have any role in it? Uh, I really, we don't know at this point. Um, right. But I think the best guess is that there is some version of the flame just because we got um, this juxtapose juxtaposed with Maddie and Gaia talking about their own flame this episode yeah. and the way that consciousness is stored on there. Um, if it is the flame, it would be some sort of like precursor because Allie doesn't, or I mean, Becca doesn't um, discover this or create this until after the world has been destroyed. Her, her flame that Maddie's wearing right now. Right. Um, but... It is possible that there was like some sort of reason that they would have needed some sort of chip at some point. The initial settlers. I right. don't know. I don't know. Um, and if so, it sounds like they're being reincarnated in a cycle. So it's like Miranda's daughter's turn next after Priya. And then it's not Russell's daughter's turn until, you know, who later. knows how much longer later. Right. Um, and just to complete that thought then Rose would be, I mean, no Rose is a host because they called her that at the beginning yeah. of the episode. Rose is a host that Miranda is keeping to, for her daughter's mm -hmm. insertion or to host her daughter very soon. Yeah. Um. So the next question that I think we need to discuss is Russell and Josephine. We get a tidbit here that Russell's daughter fell um, we also know that, you know, his daughter, daughter um, is the one who discovered the, the venom with the snake and all of this stuff. So is Russell's daughter Josephine? I think 
as we're putting the pieces together here, it very well likely seems that yes, um, they are reincarnating, reincarnating the original families within the hosts of royal blood, most likely through the flame. And that would mean that Russell is the original Russell and his daughter Josephine is the Josephine we're talking about and the one that we already met. Yeah, because Josephine was a taxonomist. So she right. would have been the one who would have discovered this toxin probably anyway. Right, exactly. So all signs pointing to like, all of these things and that would also explain why the children of Gabriel took only the heads of the bodies um with them because that's where a chip would be stored like the flame Mm -hmm. and why Kaylee was so concerned with getting them bodies back because even though they were dead their chips could still be saved sure I mean at this point too I'm not 100% sure it's a chip it still could be the green swirly do because that is going to play some role in this season I don't know what yet but it will play a role I think the biggest piece of evidence to point to a flame like object is the fact that they chopped off their heads yeah that kind of solidified this theory for us but I mean we were talking earlier in the last couple of episodes about how it could be possible that green swirly do clones people yes um and I'm not letting go of that theory yet okay um but I do think at this point, it's more likely that the reincarnation is through machines or is through like computer technology, chips, technology versus swirly do. Swirly do. Sure. Okay. Swirly do is something. <laughs> All right. We're going to put a pin in this because I think we have to talk about it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But I did want to bring up Russell describes Josephine's fall here to, to Clark. He says that she, she had a fall. And I'm just curious if he's describing a literal fall or a metaphorical fall from grace. I mean, there's been a lot of biblical overtures in overtones in this episode. So I don't know if, how much of a stretch it would be for him. You know, maybe she ran off with Gabriel. Maybe she something happened and she fled or was exiled. I don't know. And she is like dead to Russell. I love the idea of metaphorical fall and that possibly would be more interesting than just like a regular death fall um but it does sound like Miranda's saying that like your daughter will also have a turn at some point yeah so like I I, it makes me think that she really did die um yeah Yeah, but I'm not sure yet that's a good point though um it also does seem like Gabriel at some point rejected this version of reincarnation um, you know, Russell calls him a demon and the children of Gabriel who apparently hate the primes are named after him. So, you know, is Gabriel the old man or could the old man be one of his descendants? Um, or perhaps the old man is like someone who is supposed to take on Gabriel's personality, but then like escaped. I, I really don't know. There's like so many options, um, but it's yeah. been 200 years. So if this reincarnation thing is true, it is possible that Gabriel could still be alive. Um, and that would be really interesting to me but I also feel like it's equally possible that the reason that the children of Gabriel exist is because Gabriel chose to die yes I agree with you 100% I think each of those are totally viable and it doesn't quite make sense to me that if Gabriel left because for whatever reason he doesn't agree with this system then it really wouldn't make sense for him to keep himself alive over Mm -hmm. the years right yeah unless this was a recent unless it was a very recent departure yeah sure which I not sure I feel like it is I it doesn't feel like it but if it I mean like if Gabriel is an old man let's say he's like 70 70. um and it sounds like you're implanted with this chip like if you are going to be like becoming a a prime you know Delilah's pretty young Rose is even younger um so it would probably happen I don't know 20 
21, 22. I mean, like, somewhere around that age. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, he could have been – it could have been, like, 50 years ago that this yeah. turn happened. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Just, yeah so just thinking yeah. aloud. Just a theory. Mm-hmm. Um, one more thing here. I do think now that we – now we ha- we understand what they really mean by royal blood, or we think we do, I think it's interesting to consider – how compatible this idea of peace that they're constantly spouting is with the inherent instability that comes with the structure of royalty, right? Like royalty is like we are, there is like a divine right to those who rule. Mm-hmm. It's hand selected by God, um, or at least in our world, that's yeah. how royalty works. Um, and always that that is a, a power grab structure, right? There is a vacuum that takes place when those when when you leave the fate of who is leading you not in the hands of the people but in the hands of the divine that causes unrest it may take several generations it may take one generation it may take one one you know turn from exchange from one monarch to the next but inevitably power struggles exist in this structure of government and that does not seem compatible with their idea of peace to me at all so I'm just throwing that out there yeah I mean I think that the concept of royalty is inherently problematic on like pretty much every level yeah um so I'm not putting a lot of faith in this version of government right now no what I'm saying is it's actually like a dictatorship yeah yeah I mean yeah I mean like especially if you know what we're thinking is actually true and it's just Russell yeah, and his like ruling year after friends. year after year, body after body after body, like yeah. no choice for anyone else to like take leadership and maybe like choose some different directions for the group. Um, right. So yeah, that would be a dictatorship. And, and he <laughs> and he acts like a dictator, right? He is unquestioned. His authority is never challenged. It's not sure. good. Not good. So back in the tavern, Clark looks at a photo of the primes. She tells Sky Crew that she knows the founders of Legius Three were all nightbloods, and hereditarily, that's incredibly rare. Clark also notes that it makes her a target and instructs them to keep Maddie's nightblood a secret. Suddenly the doors open and Maddie runs in and hugs Clark. Bellamy and his group are back. Russell and Simone come in behind them and say they've all decided that Clark's group can stay for now. <laughs> but then Russell finds out that Dioza is Charmaine Dioza, whose face is in their textbooks alongside Hitler. He kicks her out of Sanctum and he and Simone leave. Simone tells Russell that he'd better hope the trees get Dioza before the children of Gabriel do or they'll need a lot more than a radiation shield to protect them. Uh, so I guess first Clark is already starting to piece uh, some of the pieces together like my girl Clark is always like really quick with the uptake oh yeah she is uh, way ahead of everybody else also just like total side note now that we know that Clark has royal blood if Bellamy doesn't call her princess at least once in this season what was the point I don't know (laughs) what are we even doing um I love all of these reunions namely this Murphy and Raven reunion I think these two have come such a long way from season one and their friendship is so endearing and just really sweet now we've gotten to a place between the two of them that I love and is very charming um Murphy and Bellamy's reunion is especially tender can I say something yeah I was I mean like I loved this reunion and it was really sweet like little moment but it was also interesting that he doesn't apologize to Clark in the same way. And it makes me wonder either does he just think that Clark knows and Murphy like might not that, you know, he didn't mean it or did he really kind of mean some of the things he said to Clark and he can't like bring himself to apologize for it yet. 
I don't know. I don't know. I think... I don't know. What I don't you? know because he tried to kill them both. And he said some pretty hurtful things to them both. So it just... I thought it was an interesting choice that he only apologizes to Murphy. I think so too. It's, but I... But okay. I think it's really interesting. Especially because that exchange between Murphy and Bellamy was improvised. It was not in the script. Oh, was it improvised? Yeah. Okay. Murphy, or sorry, Richard Harmon gave Bob Morley a look and Bob just like off the cuff went up to him, grabbed his shoulder and I said, I'm sorry. And Richard returned it and just rolled with it. Oh, that's freaking brilliant. Okay. Um. Then it's like, I think it's just like a... I, I think it was just like in the a moment. A thing in the moment that happened. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I don't want to read too much into it because it wasn't scripted. Um. But it is so telling of how great these actors are and how much they understand their characters. Mm-hmm. That and, and how just like incredibly talented they are that they pulled this off. I mean, I saw in the tweet Jason had said um, they they were just like kept rolling like they never stopped filming yeah um and they just went through the rest of the whole scene without ever cutting so good um that makes the scene so much better for me I like was I saying like I love this like (laughs) this is so beautiful to me um and last but not least this Maddie reunion with Clark is so good I mean their hug the squealing the the love between them I mean I really I buy it yeah I mean it was really 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 similar to their reunion in season five yeah episode five I believe um in the desert yeah we we watch those episodes a lot (laughs) (laughs) um with her like running into Clark's arms yes Yes, um very much it's like so sweet and like pure (laughs) it's just joy um and again seeing all these like really small character interactions this is what I've wanted from the hundred, and it's finally giving it to me, uh, and I'm feeling real good about it. I feel great, and yeah. I'm re- like all all the chops to you, writers. Like, thank you, we appreciate you. I am saying it out loud. <laughs> I'm putting it out into the ether. It's been a long time since we've said that, but we're saying it now. Yeah, <laughs> like please, it's not going unnoticed, and we appreciate you. <laughs> um, I do think it's interesting. That they clearly have modern medicine with specialties, particularly prenatal doctors. Um, But then they also have this, like, weird pseudo-medicine man, Killian, for their, like, mystical ceremonies. It's just something kind of surprising to me that they have, like, both. I mean, to be fair, I don't think that Killian is, like, mystical. I think he's probably the lead doctor. um, And he just knows... You know, like, well, all of the like, ways to heal people with, with what they have, you yeah, know? Yeah, I guess that's fair. I just, there's something weird about Killian. I can't quite put my finger on it. The prenatal stuff makes sense to me because we know that they brought embryos to this planet. Mm-hmm. So there must have been someone there who knew how to, like, grow embryos. Grow a fetus. Or birth them in yeah. some way. I'm not sure how they were planning on using these embryos. But they had to have some sort of information about that. So I get the prenatal stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And then also, if our theory is true, that all of the primes are just reincarnated from the original primes it makes sense that russell would react so strongly to Gioza because it's not history to him like he actually remembers her he remembers this happening very real. distantly very well, distant <laughs> a long and, time ago but but personal yeah yeah <laughs> um and if the theory is true also it makes sense why russell lets clark's group stay only after he sees that she has night blood yeah like that's very suspicious yeah he's like no I'll kick i'm kicking you out oh but Wait a minute. You saved Delilah 
So you all can stay. Like, okay, that's a little weak. Black blood. <laughs> hmm. Um, so do we know what exactly Dioza did? I don't think we ever got confirmation other than it was like bad stuff. I don't have a clear idea. I don't think we ever got the full story. And do you think we'll get more to the story? Yes, I do. I hope so. I mean, I thought we would last season and then we didn't. But again, I'm feeling good about the season. And I'm hoping that we will start getting more of this kind of backstory. I would be less inclined to think we were getting backstory, but they brought it up here. Which makes me think we're going to get more. Yeah. I also might think this because I know that Jason is writing a prequel. Um, a prequel book or a prequel series. I'm not sure. But I don't know who it's about specifically. But I think this might kind of come into play a little bit. You might be mm. setting up some, some storylines here. So like a backdoor pilot kind mm-hmm. of thing. Cool. But Dioza seems like surprised and horrified by her legacy. Um, and it is true that there's like several sides to every story and that the victors write history. But I'm also wondering what level of truth there might be to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a little bit skeptical about her portrayal um, near Hitler and bin Laden. Yeah. Like, it do- I mean, like for one, these two people who she's compared to were like dictators in power. And it very much seems like Dioza was a rebel of some sort um you know whether she was fighting for something good or not you know I don't know but I think that's a huge difference in and of itself like she was the one not in power um trying to get power and we don't know what that reason was but um I I, I don't know I'm, I'm still just like did she really equate to like that level of evil well I also think there's like a question of body count right because Hitler is responsible for the deaths of 10 million people. Mm-hmm. We're talking about genocide. Bin Laden is responsible for the World Trade Center. Well, I mean, more than and that. And others. Probably, I'd say, millions of people, yeah. too. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, specifically in, like, one moment. Like, yeah. hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, I guess um, I kind of wanted to ask you... Like, I saw some discontent online about the fact that Dioza was compared to Hitler and, and people saying that was disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Disrespectful a, to 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 hit, Jewish people. To Jewish people. And as as a Jewish person, I, I was curious about how you felt about that comparison. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I am offended by this as a Jewish person, but I do think that I am. I was caught off guard by it. Um, Hitler is a. I mean, I don't have to tell anybody. Like, if you invoke Hitler's name, that is a serious accusation. Yeah. And carries a stigma to it, a special kind of branding. Genocide. Right. Yeah. That I think can only be reserved for the like of it, the ilk of it, if you will. Um, you know, like from like the Emperor from Star Wars is a good example. You know, I, I think there are characters in fiction that can be and should be likened to Hitler, Sauron, Voldemort, on and on. Dioza does not seem like one of those sort of fully villainous, evil kinds of people and I don't know if the show is trying to put forth the idea that I don't know I'm confused by this comparison I'm not offended by it because at the end of the day like I don't think they're calling her Hitler I don't think what they're trying to I don't think they're trying to make any statement about the Holocaust in a negative or disrespectful way Um, I think the comparison just leaves me a little bit befuddled. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I'm not offended by it. I do would say I will say that I I can see where people would be offended by this. Yeah. And if you are offended by this, I I understand. Um, I am not a super religious person and I feel very confident in my Jewish identity and as a, as a personal thing to me and not as a, um, I'm not so protective of it that I am super sensitive about these things, but that's just me. And I understand a hundred thousand percent people who do take this very personally and who are offended by it. Like I get it. Um, and there are people in my family who I think would have watched this and would have been offended by it. Um, Namely, my mom, <laughs> who's offended by everything. Love you, mom. Um, <laughs> so, so with that said, I just, I just don't see Dioza as this sort of mustache twirling villain. I mean, personally, unless Dioza committed genocide, right? I'm very confused by the comparison. But again, we don't really have any idea what Dioza did or what she was even fighting and for. And we don't know the regime that took over yeah. after, you know, because like I think that's the point, right? Is like they're saying that there, there was like a coup. And we don't know who took over the who what regime took over after she was sent away. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the best ways of establishing your new regime is pointing blame and at a figure that someone could easily rally behind. And so I think one of the best way of destabilizing the resistance to go on the Star Wars metaphor. Um, would be to paint her as a Hitler-like character. Mm -hmm. Do I think it's a good idea to, like, just throw that word around and paint it on people for the sake of, like, the story? Probably not. Again, that goes back to people being offended, and I get that. Um, but I can also see where we're going with this, too. Yeah, I mean, I just keep thinking back to last season when um, Zeke, I'm sorry, Shaw, <laughs> when Shaw was describing what he knew of Dioza from what she did and there was like this one scene he described where she trying to recall this was like on a boat and people were taking over but they, she was like trying to like save save people who were on the boat I, you know so it like sounded like he, he he painted her in a good light there yeah as like a just kind Merci rebel merciful. merciful rebel leader versus like hitler evil hitler kind of yeah yeah so mussolini I hope we'll find out more, and I hope that that's in some way tied into what's going on in this season. I don't know if it will be, but it just seems like they brought that up for a reason, and I don't know if it would just be because... I mean, it could just be contrived that they want Dioza out of the forest for whatever, you know? Yeah. Out into the forest. Um, that's, that's also very possible. <laughs> but, but it just seems like having having to grapple with that identity on a personal level... To, like, know that, like, maybe you thought you were just in what you did, but, like, people after you think of that you're, you know, murderous maniac. Um, yeah. That, that's got to be hard. Yeah. And she, she did not seem like that was a, a favorable comparison. So that's at least a good Well, <laughs> right. Good and note. she seems kind of shocked by it. Yeah. Which is why I'm thinking maybe there was, like, a regime takeover and they yeah maybe disproportionately attributed some things to her. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, moving on. But just a interesting thing to note. Yes. Um, I do wonder if they're going to play up more of Maddie's new attachment to Dioza this season. Um, just because, you know, like at the beginning of the episode, Maddie was like, screw you, Dioza. You're a cold-blooded murderer. And at the end of this episode, she's like, oh my God, I am going to leave with you, Dioza. I am going to be with you. And then Clark has to stop her, you know? So it's yeah. just like, it was like a cute, an oddly cute moment that I didn't expect. Yeah, I think Maddie's just very impressionable. Yeah. You know, she's just young. Well, we know that she was like really obsessed with Blood Reina. Yeah. 
Um, and in many ways, Dioza is somewhat similar to Bloodraina, especially the idea of Bloodraina or of Octavia that Clark painted before um, Maddie, Maddie met, her. met her. Yeah. yeah. Yes. 100%. Um, and finally, dude, what is it with the trees? I don't know. Like, did, are the trees just going to, like, gobble Dioza up? Like, <laughs> I just keep having this image of, like, the Ents. Yeah. From Lord of the Rings. Yes. Well, not the Ents, but the, the trees in, like, the Ant Forest that just, like, yeah. their roots came and just, like, sucked like, in Merry and Pippin. And, like, they, like, crunch and, like, jab. It's odd. I'm the kind trees of, are alive. They are. I mean, like, I'm likening them to what I'm assuming is, like, a Venus flytrap, which is not, like, you know, evilly closing its mouth, but it's like you're tripping, um, yeah, like, like fibers sensors. or, like, sensors in the mouth that, like, makes it close and traps you in there. Um, so it's, like, a, a not a conscious thing, but still, like, it's eating live things. That's yeah. kind of what I'm assuming the trees are like. Yeah. Um, but again, they still could be conscious evil entities. Who knows? Yeah, maybe the swirly do sends them places. Yeah. <laughs> They're like minions. Um, but let's finish this up here. This please, has been a long please. episode. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> the woman. So yeah, many thoughts. Yeah, we did. We did. The woman who'd earlier left the children of Gabriel rendezvous with a larger group and shows them the head of the primes. The group who had infiltrated Sanctum arrives with Rose, but the man who'd been sent for Delilah says that a new host, Clark, intervened before he can get away. Another, Xavier, who seems to be some sort of leader, asks what happened to the rest of those who'd been at the dropship, and suddenly Octavia appears, saying that the others are dead, and so are they all about to be. But before she can attack, Xavier knocks her out with some toxins from the ground, and the woman says they now have a child with royal blood, a girl from Earth, three primes, and a pile of guns. Let's see the old man reject us now. Bam. Okay, so first and most importantly, Xavier is straight up hottie. Oh my gosh. Am I like, I'm like against my will like crazy into him. Hardcore shipping. Immediately. Hardcore (laughs) shipping. I, I I'm speechless. He's so attractive. Yeah, I'm, I'm real excited for this. Whoa. (laughs) I see. And as someone who, like, also hardcore ships Octavia and Nyla, and also as someone who, like, doesn't think Octavia is ready for a relationship right now, I still am hardcore yeah. shipping this. No, all of those things. Like, no, I don't think you should be dating. Focus on you. But also, Xavier's really hot. Like, so <laughs> hot. So your type. So your type. <laughs> like, literally drawn to a T. Yeah. Um, it is clear that the children of Gabriel, or at least Xavier know this forest like the back of their hands like you know that also kind of plays into maybe their camouflage earlier um but like xavier just i don't know steps on something and it just like sprays up fumes yeah it's like a booby trap yeah i mean like he knows which is kind of why i feel like xavier out of anyone was actually born into the children of gabriel Mm -hmm. maybe he actually is the child of gabriel or maybe he was the first one to flee and like the uh, took the others a while to catch up to him and he's been like out here for the longest maybe i mean i don't think that xavier is the leader no who started it but i do think he is a little bit more intrinsically connected to the The old man than the others might be it's given me some real good Robin Hood vibes, which are my favorite vibes. So <laughs> I am into this. Um, yeah. So this is clearly like the new version of the Grounders. This is the Grounders 2.0, um, as we've established. And I am really looking forward to seeing how 
um, the children of Gabriel compared to the Earth Grounders? And like, what are the differences going to be? Kind of like what you were saying earlier in this season. I, I mean, this episode is, I think this is a really interesting way of taking some, taking something from season one, repurposing it, and then seeing how we do things differently, mm-hmm. um, especially with Octavia. Yeah. Um, Octavia and her grounder boys. She just loves them. <laughs> <laughs> she can't help herself. <laughs> um. It does also sound like the old man has rejected them before. So it kind of, again, brings back the discussion of like, are they really even part of the children of Gabriel or is the old man not part of the children right. of Gabriel anymore? We need to get, we need to like find out where, what the lines are yeah. and how to draw them on the map. Who do you work for, Grounders 2.0? Who do you work for? Um, okay. And with that, <laughs> that was the recap. So let's get into some of these discussion points really quickly. I think we've covered a lot of this ground already, so we're going to do this super fast. Um, title meanings in the episode. Children of Gabriel. Literally learned that this is a hostile group of rebels terrorizing Sanctum for reasons we don't yet know, but we think we know, um, that we might be sympathetic with. You know, yeah, definitely. Um, interesting to note, Gabriel is a figure in the in the in the Bible in in Christianity. He is the literal left hand of God. Well, not literal. Sorry, <laughs> that's fair. Um, allegorical, <laughs> metaphorical left hand of God, and um, which I think indicates that in the show, at least, show Gabriel probably worked alongside. Russell for some period of time before splitting off, which we theorized mm-hmm. about. But I think the name really sort of gives you a clue that that's true. And I wonder if Gabriel might have like hero worshipped Russell as much as everyone like else does. Like a god. Yeah. Like I mean, Gabriel. I don't know, like a god, but like like an like an amazing figure. Yeah. <laughs> like a mentor. Yeah. Um, and also, if Gabriel and Josephine were once a pair that we think they were, um, can we assume that going forward that we're going to get a Josephine-named episode this season? Like, we got a Gabriel-themed episode this uh, this episode. And those are my Gabriel thoughts. So, let's move on quickly through our favorite lines. Yes. Yours? Mine is, at the end of our lives, we're going to be judged not for the things we did to survive. We'll be judged for the reasons we did them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's I mean that that whole scene I loved it I love what it means for Murphy's development I love what it means for just like small character moments this season yeah um and it was just a great line yeah and then similarly mine is from Bellamy when he tells Octavia until you can answer that question to yourself you're on your own which again speaks to Octavia and Bellamy's development as characters this season and the show's devotion to minor character moments yeah and development so all good things and that's that <laughs> Favorite scene. What was your favorite scene? Mine was Clark Russell and one at the dinner table. Um, just because we've been waiting to kind of see these three people together, especially Russell and Clark kind of facing off. And we get to see that here. And we also get to see Clark not apologizing for the things that she's done. And I feel like that, that makes me feel great. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we get to see new food and a dog. So <laughs> A doggy. Um, even though that was a very stressful doggy yeah. scene. Um, my favorite scene is the one in the greenhouse where we finally figure out what we think we know in this episode. When we can really start putting the pieces together about what our hosts, how are, what are primes, what's going on, what naming day actually means, and all of the implications that come with it. I think, like we've been saying, it's really, really important that the plot moves forward at the same time that there is character development and this plot is moving so fast 
this season, which just goes to show you that you don't have to sacrifice plot or character and that the show works best when they work together. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a perfect example of that and also just wanted to call out that we are get this this season is moving yeah we are on a train and it is not slowing down it really is not um the next episode is 604 the face behind the glass in this episode clark embraces the traditions of sanctum and tries to make amends for her past actions and just from that title and that um description i'm already on board oh yeah i'm really excited yeah uh can't wait to talk about it Love the title so much. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. We so will talk about to it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. That was our incredibly long-winded episode. Um, if you would like to get in contact with us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That's S-K-I. Did I say that right? <laughs> S-K-A-I-S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. Tweet at us at Skycast. You can also tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I am at bperlman89. And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. And that is our show. And because we're late on this one, we're following up with 6-4 um, tomorrow or the next day. So be on the lookout. And until then, may we meet again. May we meet again. Bye-bye. Bye.